Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Fuzzy. There's a mistake. Moonlight. Best picture. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospectives, Season 2, Episode 4 of the Failed Award Contenders. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garinga. That's me. Are we already on four? I guess you're... Yeah, yeah this is four. four. Yeah, unless I miscounted and it's actually five. That's happened before, yes. probably. <laughs> so let's... Uh, We've also whatever. sometimes done them out of order and then released them in a different order. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... We're, you know, this this is good that we're just... Uh, we're randomly picking numbers at the end of episodes and letting that guide us to yes. fruition. Yes. Uh, but Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I, I went to Arizona for the weekend to visit an old pal, someone I used to podcast with, someone I'm still very close with, and I took a bunch of film, and uh, I haven't used my film camera in like two and a half months, mm-hmm. so I was like, well, fuck it. I got to use it, and uh, I finished off five rolls of film, so that was a lot of money. And uh, now I'm not going to eat for the week, but that's okay. <laughs> it, it's worth it. Well, that sounds like a really fun and invigorating weekend to have. It was. I feel fantastic. So naturally, <laughs> we're going to talk about a movie that does the opposite for the best possible reasons. Thomas Alfredson's masterpiece, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Hell yeah. Yeah, I just we're coming out strong with this one. Yes, it's 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 fucking fantastic. It's a great movie. It's one of the best movies. Although, like you say, it's like depressing, which it fucking really is. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like a weird comfort movie for me. Like I put this movie on all the fucking time. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. And my recent rewatch, I was like Michael Clayton double feature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it works with Michael Clayton. Um, also, like I, I also feel similar to Miami Vice in a lot of ways. Oh, that one I totally uh, get. In that, but bo- I think I mentioned it on the Miami Vice episode, I referenced this movie as being another example of a movie where, like, I had to watch it like three times before I knew what the fuck was even going on. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was, it wasn't off-putting to not know what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it, it felt rewarding <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did you see this when it came out? Uh, no, I saw it a little after. Mm. I but... did see it in a theater. Oh, oh please tell um, me, tell me. Well, no, here, so I, I don't know if this is my arc with uh, Thomas Alfredson, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Let the Right One In was his previous film. And do you remember that Let the Right One In was released in the United States, I believe the same weekend as the first Twilight movie? I did not know that. This? I believe that's what no. happened. Holy shit. And there was like a big hullabaloo online about being like, there are two vampire romances out this weekend, right? Like, And mm-hmm. one of them is like a masterpiece and the other is Twilight. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a little funny. Yeah. And, and uh, people were like, you know, like people online who were, this was like peak, like Twilight backlash, you know? Like, yeah. so people were like, this is the real shit. Let the right one in. So I was like, I guess I'll go see that. <laughs> so like I went to a theater and I think I had to sneak in cause it was still, I think I was still under, uh, I can't, what age do they let you go to R rated movies? 17. 17. Yeah. I was under 17. So I, I definitely bought, I probably bought a ticket for twilight and then snuck into <laughs> let the right one in, 
which is the type of shit I used to do all the time back then. <laughs> and uh, and I was like kind of blown away by it, right? It's like that's mm-hmm. a that's a really wild movie. Um, have you seen that? I'm assuming. I love that yeah. movie. I saw both of these on HBO, not the same time or anything like that, but I saw both of them on HBO that makes when sense. I actually saw them. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and like there were a lot of people in the day that I followed, like really talked up, let the right one in. So when Alfredson's next movie was coming, which is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, people were like, they wouldn't shut the fuck up about it, right? Like they mm-hmm. were, oh my god, this movie's gonna be in like this guy, he's doing a spy movie next based on this great book. And so I went to theaters, saw it, did not know what the fuck was going on <laughs> throughout most of it. And then that was the general response from people being like, I remember people being like positive to mixed, but also a lot of people being like, I couldn't follow it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those movies that like, it stuck with me. I basically watched it anytime it was on TV, probably HBO, like you said. I probably had it recorded on a DVR and just watched it over and over again. I get really into uh, John Le Carre's books um, at the time, like right afterwards, which helped <laughs> yeah. to follow the plot. And then uh, there's that like six year gap between his his movies, and like in that time, I go, I go from I couldn't follow this movie, but I enjoyed it too. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is one of the best movies of the decade. Cannot wait to see what this guy does next. And then his next movie was The Fucking Snowman, which is like a train wreck of epic proportions. I'll say one thing right now. Having revisited this movie, I see exactly how The Snowman could have ended up. Yeah. You know, like only because and I think we're going to be in agreement with this. His his shot composition, his his writing, his his direction is so meticulously crafted. Mm-hmm. If you miss a moment, it throws the whole thing kind of out the window. Yeah. Now I miss moments all the time with this movie because there's so many, but it's it's not the movie's fault. It's just like mm-hmm. it's a lot to keep track of for my brain. Yeah, I'm probably um, even like on this one. I took meticulous <laughs> notes. I'm still probably gonna miss shit. Like yeah, the times I've watched it. And they didn't film like fifteen to twenty percent of the snowman because of budgetary yeah. reasons. And time that movie is—you can feel like Alfredson got defeated fairly early on in filming that because so much of that movie feels like it's just coverage. Yeah, which probably would have made sense more in like his more meticulous style had it been like completed. But he never got there, you know. So he had like all this shit just left. Yeah, that, that's also a movie feels like everything was kind of stacked against it in a weird way. Yeah, Which, definitely. You have that. You have. Uh, I heard Fastbender was kind of a problem on that movie. That makes I've sense. Stories, and then like you have the Val Kilmer situation, which is like that's no one's fault, really. Yeah, so, that one's just tragic, and that was the the one where everyone saw for the first time, like, oh, like, yeah, is, is he okay? Yeah, you know, like it was concerning, and mm-hmm. you know, he, he's not super well but you know he's getting by which is yeah which good. is which is good he was in, he's yeah, being taken care he's of he's in a movie nominated for best picture <laughs> yeah so pretty good <laughs> he's doing all right <laughs> yeah um, i think you and i are both shocked by that yeah, but hey what are you gonna do <laughs> we're not here to talk about that today yeah uh, future fail award contender top gun maverick well um, maybe it won't be it, people like that movie it's not gonna win shit it'll win some technical shit maybe but although arguably like that's all right, so like, if, let's say you don't know, like how people are like they should add a best stunt category to the Oscars, right? 
the yeah. party gets if you add it for a Tom Cruise movie, does Tom Cruise get one of those Oscars? Maybe like, this is a question Chad Stahelski, the great Chad Stahelski actually brought up really? one time or like in an interview. And he was saying that like I I love the enthusiasm, but who do you give it to? Is it the stunt team? <laughs> is it the stunt coordinators? Is it the guy running the stunts? Like there, there's a lot of factors that have to be sorted out. He's not against yeah. it because he himself came up in that world. It's just like we we need uh, more than just a suggestion. We need like the game. Plan Maybe you that. need it like to divide it where it's like you have like the best like stunt whatever team, right? Like you have the, yeah. the guy who like organizes it, but then you have the best specific stunt in a movie, and that goes yeah. to the performer. Yeah, I mean, there's two sound categories because sound is is multi layered. Uh-huh. Right? So, stunts are also multi-layered. I think maybe that's the way to go. I think the answer is to add 17 more awards to the Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking trim out all the the skits and shit. No one likes them. No one remembers them. Yeah, why do they keep trying? I promise you. You you think they'd get it at some point? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel's hosting this year, so they're probably not going to get it this year either. And I don't even hate Jimmy Kimmel. I'm just saying, you know, he's got he's got a vibe. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel's going to take fucking half the directors to like a rodeo or something. (laughs) (laughs) What we should really have is Conan O'Brien hosting. Here's the thing: I don't mind like if you get a guy to come out there, get a stand-up comedian, have him come out and kind of like roast Hollywood in like the first thirty minutes, like you know, like to do like an opening monologue type thing. I don't mind that, but like then, like after that, just move on. Like that just yeah, get yeah. to the awards. And... Yeah, somehow the fucking Golden Globes apparently did it like much better than the Oscars have the last couple of years this year because people were like fucking. We forgot that the HFPA is like one of the most evil criminal yeah, organizations well, that was on the weird. planet. I, I have I didn't watch because I was like, I I didn't either. I just yeah. saw the clips like shared around, and you know, again, everything I said about that organization stands. It was kind of nice to see people who maybe deserve an award, yeah, or, or like like the the wins. Well, who to, wins? Like, it doesn't the right people. like that's irrelevant, you know, like to what is going on. That, but I think a lot of people are just. This is a weird year where I think people are actually invested in some of the movies nominated, which doesn't happen. Like general public, you know. Yeah. Like like yeah. everything, everywhere, all at once has made has been like this crossover hit, you know. And mm-hmm. it's the it's it that might be the like Joker of it this year, where it's like the average person went to see that movie, yeah. as opposed to like no good. one saw the Fablemans, you know. Like, yeah. Which is a shame, but. Um, so, you know, maybe that's kind of cool. And I think it's where people are so invested in Brendan Fraser winning, even though I think most of those people like haven't seen the whale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like that would maybe change your mind. <laughs> yeah. But, and like, I know people are like, uh, kind of like babying him like on the internet and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then treating him like a well, yeah, batting zoo or something. It's, it's where people, like, like he is so pure. Like they're treating him like he is batting thin. Yeah, it's like calm down. Calm it's down. all like like pull it back a little. Bit. Like I am worried. Yeah, like, he is a human being. Yeah, he's, gonna he's gonna make have a mistake flaws. at some point and or say something kind of stupid, and people are gonna fucking like turn on him. But, yeah, uh, yeah, he's a he's a good actor, and I like seeing him, and I'm, I'm glad he's back. Is all- yeah, and I think that's the thing. A lot of people are glad he's back. A lot of people have very fond memories of him, even outside of like the Mummy. Yeah. You know, and it's like- is that thing of like we kind of all realize simultaneously how much we undervalued him. You know, yeah. I mean, he had a bit yeah. part in No Sudden Moves, and he's fucking terrific. Oh yeah, he's and, he's the shit in that. Yeah, movie. he's like he's and he's like a bad guy too, like which <laughs> is cool. And yeah. He's got like he's some, in Scorsese's this year. I can't wait. 
Do we know what he's playing in that? Like, if they, I have no idea what he's doing in that. But uh, yeah, I am looking forward to that a lot. Um, And that's got a hell of a cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So hopefully that will be good. Yeah, Martin Scorsese. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a guy who's really hit and miss. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look at this film. Hit, hit, hit. I mean, you never know. <laughs> what was the last Scorsese well, movie you didn't like? I don't think I've ever disliked a Scorsese movie, I didn't like, to be honest. I didn't like Color of Money. I like Color of Money. Okay. I'm not even, even going to fight you on it. No. I just like... Um, let, me, let me take a look. Like a, I a real look. So, oh, Kundun, I liked it. Kundun, I liked it. Um, yeah, I like all of these. Um, probably maybe like one of his documentaries if he covered a band I didn't give a shit about. Yeah, you know what? Um, I don't love Boxcar Bertha, but no one does, (laughs) but I feel like like Boxcar Bertha, yeah. That's the word Cassavetes basically went like you just wasted a fucking year of your life, you fucking idiot. Like Yeah. Oh, that's the best. That's the best. If you're curious anyone, look up the uh Cassavetes quote that Martin Scorsese. Oh, has. I know. Here's a movie I think we can all agree on that is bad from Scorsese. Um his I think I've brought it up before, his documentary about Elia Kazan. Called a Oh no, Elia. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> which you know, hey, Marty. I mean I know you love movies. Made a documentary about a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never seen it. Maybe Scorsese does like, hey, he was a great filmmaker, but he also sucked. I don't know. That's yeah, it. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a guy who just fucking... That's why Tarantino is full of shit. Where he's like, directors, they all run out of steam, right? And it's like, yeah, no. yeah, no, he... Yeah. So, like, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of out of pocket for that yeah but like i there's that thing where like some directors certainly like don't age gracefully right but i think the two things that happen is that like a director either gets really formulaic where like i think that's john carpenter where john carpenter was still making john carpenter movies like well into the 2000s you know it's like Mm -hmm. he hasn't he hasn't stretched at all which people and then it's like he lives and dies by his scripts at that point right yeah. So, like, if the scripts aren't getting developed very well, then shit's not going to work out. Or you get directors who go off and maybe try to stretch a little bit, which is the Spielberg situation. And people are like, ah, Spielberg, he hasn't made anything great in however the fuck long, right? And it's like, no, he's been making bangers, like, yeah. every year, You just basically. haven't been fucking watching it. Yeah. And uh, people are fucking... That was one where people like, because uh, Spielberg won at the Golden Globes for Best Director, right? Yeah. And someone was like, this was more a career award for Spielberg. And I was like, I think he maybe deserves this one more than fucking Saving Private Ryan. Like, Oh, uh, I'd agree with that. And, or like, maybe even Schindler's. <laughs> like, like this one, I'm like, this is the one you give it to him for, right? Like, mm-hmm. Although I probably would have given it to him for West Side Story, but. I would have given it to him a couple times, including probably the ones you just mentioned, frankly. Well, yeah, Spielberg's hard, where it is kind of like uh, Jurassic Park, best director, Catch Me If You Can, best director, Jaws, best director. Like, <laughs> it is, it is, who won in 75? I think that's, now Annie Hall is Star Wars. So, remember when Annie Hall beat Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no aging poorly there. Yeah. 
Godfather, oh, Godfather Part Two. No, but that's seventy four. So the Oscars oh, were wait, in seventy five. So it's whoever wins next year. Um, just want to. You always wonder if it was like it. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I, I guess. Yeah, like, that's good. I, I like uh, I like Milos Foreman. Rest in peace. Uh, although maybe I would have given it to him for Amadeus. Yeah, and then that way we can yell at him because you could only get the director's cut of Amadeus for the longest time. <laughs> or is, who's finally putting out? Someone is finally putting out Amadeus where you can get the theatrical cut. Um. I can't remember. It's probably Criterion. It just I'm taking a stab in the dark there. Yeah, maybe, but like there are a lot of these days there are a lot of people releasing movies. So Yeah, yeah. So Shout Factory, maybe Arrow. Mm-hmm. So Vinegar Syndrome, Vinegar Syndrome, Syndrome little... presents Amadeus. <laughs> <laughs> probably not them, yeah. but Milos Forman uh, cast Norm MacDonald in like two movies. Oh, what a, what a legend. And he was like, he had a big part for him, and Norm had to, like, talk him down because he's like, I can't act. <laughs> so he plays a reporter. You ever see The People vs. Larry Flint? <laughs> no. He, play, he plays a reporter in The People vs. Larry Flint, and there's been, <laughs> the scene he's supposed to drive up to Larry Flint's house, right? And mm-hmm. Norm shows up on set, and he goes, I can't drive. <laughs> And so they had to hire. Uh, so now he takes a cab, and so the cab drops him off at Larry Foot's oh. house, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then he's in uh, Man on the Moon, the fucking uh, Jim Carrey is Andy Kaufman movie. Oh yeah, yeah which yeah. is just strange. And he played uh, who the fuck was it? He was um, Michael Richards. Oh shit! He play he plays Michael Richards because of the famous skit. Where Michael Richards and Andy Kaufman staged a fight on live television. Do you remember this? No. This is a real thing that happened. You can find it. And, you know, people didn't... This is before the internet, so no one knew this was a hoax initially. But uh, uh, there was Fridays, which was basically SNL, but on Friday. (laughs) And it was a sitcom show Michael Richards was on. Andy Kaufman, who I think was the host... And in one of the skits, he starts deliberately, like, not doing his lines. This was all staged, by the way. Like, they planned this. This wasn't, uh, this, this, but it looks, when you watch it, it looks genuine. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point, Michael Richards walks off stage and walks back with the cue cards and throws them in Andy Kaufman's face. And then they get into a fight. Like, they start hitting each other. (laughs) And that's, and the skit ends. And people thought it was real. (laughs) Because <laughs> Andy Kaufman was a psychopath. <laughs> Although Orson Welles liked him. Of course, Orson liked him. <laughs> Two lunatics hanging out. And that's that weird thing where like, people are still convinced Andy Kaufman is uh, alive today. Like, even though he's been dead. <laughs> like, like what, at what point, like, why would he keep doing this? You know? <laughs> that would be wild, though. <laughs> That would be, yeah. Everyone said, like, he would do it on Letterman's last uh, episode. Everyone was saying, that's when Andy Kaufman's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) What? Guess guess what? Didn't happen. (laughs) Well, it's also the guy who goes around um, as Tony Clifton still. You know that, right? No. (laughs) My God. What? All right. So, Tony Clifton. Do you know who Tony Clifton is? I don't. So, Tony Clifton is... uh, I believe the story is he is Andy Kaufman's agent, right? In massive mm. quotes. He's Andy Kaufman's agent, but he's uh 
he's also a lounge singer, and, uh, uh, like, he wants to be a comedian, but he's terrible and, like, offensive and just an awful person, right? Well, guess what? Andy Kaufman played Tony Clifton. And so people would be like, I want to interview Andy Kaufman. And they'd be like, well, call his agent, Tony Clifton. And people would call, and Andy Kaufman would pick up and pretend to be Tony Clifton. And then Kaufman hired a friend, um, I can't remember the friend's name, and had him play Tony Clifton. So sometimes people would be like, well, clearly that's Andy Kaufman in a lot of makeup, right? And then, <laughs> But then Tony Clifton would show up and Andy Kaufman would be on stage and people would be like, wait, what? And then that guy kept doing Tony Clifton like long after Andy Kaufman died. So people think Andy Kaufman is still Tony Clifton. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the story. Uh, this is an insane story. Um, so Jim Carrey played Andy Kaufman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Carrey got invited to a party at the Playboy Mansion, I believe during the production of man on the moon. And he goes to Hugh Hefner and he's like, Hey Hugh, I'm going to show up as Tony Clifton and like, it'll be a bit, but like, don't tell anyone. And Hugh Hefner was like, okay, cool. But then Hugh Hefner told everyone <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Carrey incensed, um, called up the guy who does Tony Clifton and had him go as Tony Clifton. <laughs> My God. And everyone thought it was Jim Carrey. <laughs> and so, like, he's going around, like, being, like, belligerent. Like, that'd be the thing. Like, he would show up and be belligerent. And, like, Andy Kaufman would, like, ask... Like, Tony Kaufman... This it, Tony Kaufman was insane. I mean, Andy Kaufman was insane. He asked the producers of Taxi to give Tony Clifton a role on Taxi. <laughs> and the producers obliged. Tony Clifton showed up drunk and with a sex worker... <laughs> And, God. and refused to do his lines, got fired, and then Andy Kaufman apologized for Tony's behavior, which is a thing that happened. So Tony Clifton is at the party being belligerent, and people are like, oh, Carrie's being, it's funny. And then Carrie showed up like an hour later, and then Hugh Hefner had Tony Clifton had got the shit kicked out of him by security. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That Andy Kaufman was a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a strange man. And, um, strange man, and yeah, and he probably died because he was crazy and believed in alternative medicine. <laughs> so ah, that's probably why he died at age thirty-five. He didn't fake his death. But hey, um, you know who else faked his death? Jim Perino in the film Tinker Tailor Soldier. <laughs> 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 I had to tie to get it back. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the fuck was? How did I get to Tony Clifton? What the fuck Dude, is wrong with me? I don't even know. I don't know. Jesus Christ! I don't know anything anymore? Um, uh, we're talking about like best picture films, and I got the fucking Tony Clifton. No people are having a good time. Don't look up any clips of Tony Clifton, by the way, because the guy who does Tony Clifton just does like offensive humor and it's not funny <laughs> like, it's it's kind of like neil hamburger remember neil hamburger uh no but we're gonna move on nope, so we don't so neil hamburger viral. is the fictional persona of greg turkington who does, oh okay okay he he was just neil i knew him as neil hamburger for like a good 10 years i don't think he was doing any greg turkington stuff for a while and neil hamburger would straight up like 
tell like just jokes that like would get crowds to like try and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> like you can find it was because like bands would hire him and he'd come out with like martinis and be drunk, yell at the audience, and the audience is like booing him. And it's just insane. <laughs> Comedians are crazy people. They are. Is that what the movie Entertainment's about? I believe so. You know what? I've never seen Entertainment. I have not either. And uh, I, I like that guy's other movie, um, the uh, the comedy, I believe is is what it's called. Did you ever see the comedy? No. With Tim Heidecker? It's uh, No, but I like I like Tim Heidecker. But also everyone should note I, I got into on cinema like during the pandemic, I missed the window before that, mm. so I, I I finally got into it like in twenty twenty. No, I've so. never watched I'm on f- cinema. I just know of it. Oh, it's, it's you'll love it. I know it. people tell me I will, but like I just it's one of those where like I just haven't gotten into it. Mm-hmm. But Tim Heidecker's always out there doing weird shit. Yeah, <laughs> and the comedy is basically just like, what if the character Tim Heidecker played was like a real person? And it's like just really sad and depressing and hard to watch. Like, <laughs> so there's a movie. Um, anyway, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, all right, should we run down the cast? Well, all right. So uh, we talked about how this movie is very difficult to follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you do when you first saw it? Uh. I was like, what? Because <laughs> um, I was expecting, like, not, like, quite James Bond or something like that, you know, but, like, like a tight, like, thriller. Yeah. And, like, there are thriller elements. Yeah, but the most thrilling know, scene really in this movie is someone stealing a file. Yeah. Like, that's the most intense scene in the movie, arguably. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, there's not any real, uh, there's not, there's no action, really. There's, like, a little bit of gun stuff in it. And all, yeah, it opens, of, and all of it's miserable yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. It opens and closes with that. If you haven't seen the movie, just go watch it. Yeah. Um, go watch. We'll, although we'll um, maybe listen. About all I it. was going to suggest. I think this is a movie that for first time watchers would benefit from, like having like. When, I remember when I started Game of Thrones. Um, I had like a family tree of like the the main characters that I just held next to me while I was reading the book. Right, so mm-hmm. I could fo- like it helped me follow everything that was going on, and I think this movie could benefit from going in knowing some of that. Right? Okay, I, I can agree with that. Um, so, like, I wrote down. Um, I'll get into that in a minute, but I wrote down basically, and the only thing this list spoils is kind of like the first five minutes of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but I'll get into that. Do you have you seen any other? Uh, John Le Carre ad- adaptations, um, or have you read any of his books? I've not read any of his books. I'm trying to think if I've seen any other adaptations. Um, he did a, a Most Wanted Man, the last Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. No, uh, I've not seen that's that. That's really good. Um, the Constant Gardener. Have I seen that? That's a very depressing film. No, no, I did see that. Okay. I did see that with Ray Fine yeah, yeah. and Rachel Weiss. And there's a bunch of like the spy who came in from the cold from like the '60s with Richard Burton, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, we brought up the Little Drummer Girl well, before. Yeah, yeah, the Park Chan Wook adaptation, which is fantastic, by the way. 
Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not seen it yet. Um, there was also a 1964 film adaptation of it, uh, or 1984. Excuse yeah, me. yeah, that one is. I've never seen it, but it has a bad reputation. Okay, um, even though George okay. Roy Hill directed it, who's like a good director, um, director of Snapshot. Oh, <laughs> Some, something called the Night Manager. Yeah, which was re- which, which was a pretty good miniseries. Okay, um, okay. Tom Hiddleston was in it. Um, yeah, it's it, there's some. He's got a lot of good stuff. This, although this uh, movie turned me into a bit of a like, I read a shit ton of his books right after this movie mm-hmm. came out. Because I also like, I'm such a fucking like, like uh, fucking bleeding heart peacenik, you know. But I uh-huh. love spy fiction. Like I love spy stories. No, I it's it's so cool. Yeah, or it's, it's at least very enthralling. You know, it's what the I mean? most pro cop I'll ever get. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just, I like those stories maybe because it's like, it's cop shit, but it's like the intellectual version of it, you know? Yeah. Like when someone says like, Oh, I just like, you know, a thinking man's thriller or action movie. They mean just like spy movies, even if they're not that yeah. very like intellectually, yeah. like, uh, uh, like radical or anything like that. Yeah. Although, like, I'm not a giant James Bond fan, you know? Oh, okay. See, I, I love James Bond. But those James are, like, I almost don't classify those as spy films, you know? Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're action they're, movies. They're, like, Casino Royale is maybe one of the best examples yeah. of it being, like, espionage-based, you know? There's very little action yeah. in that movie. Yeah, and it's the greatest movie ever made, That's, that's course, probably, but. like, it's the one where, like, now I think the Craig movies are all done. Like, I think we can all safely say that Casino Royale was the best one. Yeah. Like, which it's it's always a shame to admit that the first one the guy did was the best one, but it it kind of is. It, I think he's got contenders. Like I'll hear arguments no, I, for a couple others, I but like honestly, think Casino Royale. He's got uh, Craig Bond has one of the best. Like he's got one of the most well rounded of the films he did. You know? Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. Like there's deficits in some of them, but I think there's enough interesting stuff in it there there's no like what's a really bad one um look i know people like it i i don't like moonraker moonraker's bad or view to a kill people are wrong moonraker's bad a view to kill that one's a shame because fucking you got christopher walken in it and grace jones i know it's such a mess um pierce brosnan like kind of got fucked <laughs> like yeah, yeah so, his movies get like progressively worse yeah. but the drop-offs are like huge yeah the drop-offs because golden eye is so fantastic tomorrow Ever, never dies i have a i have an incredible soft spot for mainly Same. because of michelle Yao. Like, oh yeah who is yeah, like yeah. the fucking coolest in that movie yeah uh, even that that like the plot of that movie is so stupid <laughs> It is. It, I couldn't believe it when I was younger and I watched it. You know. Yeah, it's so weird because Goldeneye like is ridiculous, but it's not like super ridiculous, and it feels like okay, they've updated Bond for the nineties, and then by Die Another Day, it's like Space Laser and Ice Castle, like yeah. <laughs> which Die Another Day is like a train wreck. Yeah, and, there, there's a big like defending squad of that movie, and I don't like. I don't hate that one. I don't really have an interest in watching it. Like it's it's a bit much. They are for me. they are dead wrong. Die Another Day is a horrible film. <laughs> Die Another Day is really bad. I'm sorry. Like there's there is some good stuff in it. It's great to watch movies that still have practical action in it. 
it's also like it feels like, like the tsunami, the ice tsunami. Yeah, no, which was all done practically. Yeah, uh, fuck you. But uh, <laughs> there's there's also the just the like, I it's one of the last action spy films that doesn't feel tainted by nine eleven. You know, even mm-hmm. though it was released in two thousand two, which might have hurt it. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't. There's no attempt to. Uh, how do I, how do you say, like, there's no, like, it, it doesn't do what Casino Royale eventually does, right? Which I love Casino yeah. Royale, but also there is kind of, I do kind of miss the more absurd bondness, you know? And mm-hmm. Dying of the Day is certainly absurd. <laughs> also, all right, the villain in Die Another Day has diamonds in his face, yeah. They, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. They yeah. never call him Diamond Face. How? Wh- why even bother? <laughs> like, what? What is that? Really? Like, that's crazy to me. It, it is. This is serious with is. a guy named Goldfinger. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goldfinger. Isn't Goldfinger just the best villain? He's gonna blow up Fort Knox just to increase the value of his own gold. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but you know what? Like, it's ridiculous, but it's also like, you hear some of these fuckers talk now. It's like, yeah, they probably do well, that. That's what could. is crazy about the Craig Bond movies is that they went like that. The first movie is so much about just financing terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and then Quantum of Solace, which is about a guy stealing water. Like, when that came out in 2008, people were like, that's a little too extreme, right? After the subtleties of Casino Royale, yeah. and now you're like, but, well... Well, now we go to No Time to Die, which is like, isn't the guy in that trying to, like, unleash a virus that'll kill, like, half the planet or something? No, but he's selling it, though. Yeah. It's, this is the interesting thing about the Craig ones. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, they could have pivoted to, like, some really, really uncomfortable shit. Yeah. But all the villains are, like, the financiers. Yeah. Of terror. That's what that's what's smart. And but also, but what I'm saying is that by the time No Time to Die comes out, we're back to absurd villains, right? Like mm-hmm. he's got an absurd plot, and it doesn't feel far fetched anymore. <laughs> yeah, like that's what's crazy about the whole fucking uh, Daniel Craig arc. Um, mm. But hey, well, I think that's actually like we're not completely off base there because what is the biggest thing these, the Bond movies are going to have to struggle with going in the future is like incorporating the thrills of espionage, yeah. which are fictionalized. Real espionage is probably more like this movie, just depressing, well, and your uh, life is going to be worthless. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know John Le Carre, whose real name was uh, David Cornwell. Um, he was a spy. So, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, although Ian Fleming was also a spy. <laughs> yeah. But, like, his, I think he was more into, like, he had a weird sadism to him <laughs> that he seemed more interested in. Um, there's a hilarious photo of, like, 80-something John Le Carre with Florence Pugh. <laughs> I don't know why I find it so funny that <laughs> she was in the little uh, drummer girl. <laughs> but... Um, if you like the uh, if you like the financier angle though of the Craig Bonds, uh, definitely watch a Most Wanted Man. That's what that movie is most mostly about. Um, really good. Another one that like it's just like crushing by the end of it. <laughs> but goddamn, and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's so fucking good in it. It was a shame. Um, I went to see that movie the day Robin Williams died. 
Oh. Yeah. I went to go meet a friend at the theater. I stop at a fucking McDonald's and they have CNN. Who, who, who thought it was a good idea to have CNN at McDonald's? I know, like, right? I'm There's already miserable because I'm eating at McDonald's. So, and then I look up on the screen and it's like, oh, by the way, Robin Williams just died. I had McDonald's recently for the first time in like years mm -hmm. and I just felt miserable the rest of the day. <laughs> so having to do that and then find out that Philip Seymour Hoffman died, like I would not recover for weeks. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was rough. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely check oh, out The Most Wanted Man. I don't think that director, has that guy done anything? I don't think so. Oh, you know what? Oh, I, right, he did a movie called Life, which isn't the life, the, the space horror movie life yeah the bad one yeah um the, the movie that's better than alien covenant but no, uh i've never even heard of it and that was the last movie he did and that was 2015 so that's a wow shame. yeah that is a looks shame. like he's been doing some documentaries though so okay uh, well here's something about ian fleming that i just found out recently his customer his, his customer his cousin was christopher lee oh yeah Step cousin, excuse me. Well, weren't they? They were both on. Weren't they part of the same unit at one point? I don't know if they were the same unit, but they were both uh, spies during World War II, it was like and him. they both one hundred percent killed Nazis. Yeah, it was, it was him, Christopher Lee, and Roald Dahl were like all part of like the same like kind of organization at one point. And yeah, and Christopher Lee we definitely stabbed some Nazis. Yeah, and then he also apparently was like the inspiration for James, like the main inspiration for James. That's Bond. that's kind of awesome, honestly. That is uh, Christopher Lee has the greatest life in human history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Lee is not dead; he just went home. Like, because yeah. <laughs> like, goddamn man. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so but John John Carey is very much like a response to uh, James Bond. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's like a bit like this movie and the story Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy in particular have a whole section that feels like a deconstruction of the James Bond character. Um, we'll get to that. Um, anything else you want to say? I guess in the lead and no, no, I think we could just head into it. Okay. Now. Um, let's break down exactly what the fuck this movie is about. All right. Which is it's oh, also, um, I guess the other thing we need to talk about is that this has been adapted before, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it was adapted into a miniseries for BBC television starring Alec Guinness as George Smiley. What? Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. And our, That's fantastic. Just to know how much... Uh, here's what's insane. I cannot really say the movie trimmed anything down. They basically hit all the same beats. Some stuff are, is extended. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the miniseries, was seven episodes long. This movie is two hours. <laughs> so, um, it's interesting. That's I saw this first, so I, I like the movie more, but I did enjoy the miniseries. But that's a lot more drawn out, and it's a lot more like, they go into rooms and like they might as well talk directly to the camera to make sure everyone's on the same page as to what's oh, okay. happening. Like it's a lot more straightforward, but it is very good. Um, and also the character of George Smiley. Um, do you know he's? This is a recurring character in um, Lacarry's work. It's it's like a series of books, right? Or well, is it just like a character that hops? Well, around? there's the trilogy, which Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is the first part of a trilogy. Um, 
which is called the Carla Trilogy. Carla being the head of Moscow Center, the KGB organization that is directly against uh, Smiley's group. Mm. Um, I can't remember. I don't be- there's so there's Tinker Toy Soldier Spy. There's the Honorable Schoolboy, which I don't believe has ever been adapted into a film um, or television. And then the third and last one is Smiley's People. And Smiley's People has been adapted and was adapted starring uh, Alec Guinness again. Um, also, Carla makes an appearance in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy miniseries. Do you know who plays him? I do not. Patrick Stewart. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's interesting. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good thing to watch where you just watch, like, here's two ways to adapt the same material. And it's kind of nuts. But then George Smiley appears sometimes as a minor character, sometimes as a major character in a bunch of other Lacare books, like Call for the Dead, Murder of Quality, um, The Spy Who Came In from the Cold, The Looking Glass War, and then like the last book Lacare wrote, because he passed away in 2020, um, A Legacy of Spies, which I haven't read, but I believe that book is kind of. Uh, a bit of a reckoning, a reckoning for Smiley and some of the questionable things he was involved in in his career. Mm. Um, specifically, the events. I think, from what I understand, this is what I've just heard. I haven't actually read it, but specifically the events of the spy who came in from the cold, which is one of those like, an, just another fucking depressing story <laughs> about how being a spy kind of sucks. <laughs> uh, but I, I enjoy them. Although I haven't read them in a while, I might, since I've gotten more left-leaning in my years, I might brush up against some of the politics in it, you know? Although I know Trump is a very vocal opponent of Donald Trump and and Putin and people like that. Um, In the last few years, he was, like, complaining about them and complaining about Brexit. Um, That's that's good. Good sign. And I think he also wrote a piece... For one of, like, he wrote some op-ed when the Iraq war was happening that was titled, like, Has the West Lost Its Mind? (laughs) So it's basically like, this is the dumbest idea ever. Don't invade Iraq. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Uh, Two months prior to the invasion, the Time published the Carey essay, The United States Has Gone Mad, criticizing the build-up to the Iraq war and President George W. Bush's response to the September 11th attacks calling it worse than McCarthyism, worse than the Bay of Pigs, and in the long term, potentially more disastrous than the Vietnam War. Well, he was right about that. (laughs) Um, And beyond anything, Osama bin Laden could have hoped for in his nastiest dreams. That's kind of accurate, honestly. Yeah. And he participated in protests against the Iraq War. All right. So, hey, I mean, that's cool stuff. I think he still kind of falls on the side of, like, you know, like I think, I think he kind of does believe in like if it. I think he has the uh, who's the wire, the guy who created the wire, uh, David Simon. I think he's kind of like David Simon esque, but like that that show shows all the problems with the police, but doesn't really suggest we should ever do away with the police. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a sort of underlying like if the right people were in the right position, we could all make all this stuff work. You know. Yeah, because um, this is also a movie very much about like how lad- ladder climbers will like get everyone killed. <laughs> <You know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so wild stuff. Um, 
so yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is specifically the story about uh, a spy, former spy at the start of this story named George Smiley trying to find a mole at the top of the circus. The circus being the British intel, the name for the British intelligence agency, and they've narrowed in on four suspects, which are the four top guys, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's the basic setup of the movie. <laughs> And how many viewings did it take you to like fully follow uh, the trajectory of this story? Three. Okay. <laughs> I would say three is when it really clicked, um, which I believe is probably the same I did for Miami Vice, right? Yeah. And here's the thing I'll, I'll tell people right now. I think Miami Vice are referred to it like almost as like elemental, you know, like you just kind of like feel the people and their surroundings <laughs> constantly and their emotions are so like they're withdrawn, but they're heightened. This you feel like procedurally. You feel like every little like click of a pen and like off camera phone conversation, you know, like well, it, if that's how I got if into Miami it. Miami Vice is elemental, this is structural, you know? They, like yeah, this yeah. is just it's this is it's almost a movie about just how fucking terrible it must be to live in England. Like, <laughs> Cause like goddamn the production design in this movie is is psychotic like <laughs> it is so goddamn good you know like every mm-hmm. set right yeah I mean, it's such like with such a maximum impact to it but there's also such a closeness to just the the way the offices are the way just hallways are the commutes i mean smiley feels like most suffocated when he's out walking london streets and the only time we really get something open is like the brief like ricky tar interlude where he's with the girl right which is like has driving (laughs) around and stuff and that ends disastrously yeah and there's so much of just and like uh what's his name um thomas alberton uses so much of the kind of planned cityness of london to kind of show smiley's sort of thinking right they were constantly getting shots of the train. There's a specifically, it's not exactly subtle, but we cut back to the train, like with the signal stopping and starting when Smiley is tr- coming to the conclusion as to what Carla's plan is, right? Yeah. He's listening to the Ricky Tar interview over and over again. So it, 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 there's a very oppressive and systematic atmosphere to this whole movie. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. I know. And he, and he insists on shooting on like telephoto lenses. <laughs> he he said, I believe, like in a commentary or something, the widest angle lens they used was like a 50 millimeter. And after you go wider than 50 millimeter, which <laughs> is smaller numerically, it's like let's say like a 35 millimeter, the background becomes more prominent than the foreground. Yeah. Right? Uh, I call bullshit though, just one time, because there's that one scene early on. <laughs> Uh, where like like it's like two minutes into the movie where it's like the wide shot of their their little office space and you can see like everything and and the people in in the foreground are like kind of enveloped by the background of the the layout of the office. It's not a negative. I'm just like I think you guys forgot one, <laughs> but whatever. Hey, you know. I guess when you're like accounting for literally every image of this film, you're gonna miss. There are like eventually. it's where it is so so precise. This movie that there are a couple of moments that feel like coverage shots that got into the movie, but like they're not that jarring. They're just noticeable because so much of the other movie isn't that right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's definitely one bit of voiceover 
that I noticed. Uh, yes that didn't need to be there <laughs> uh, that was the exact moment when i was like i see exactly what happened to this yeah moment. exactly i had the same like, <laughs> it's in the car right um is it the car i have it where um they go to control's apartment is this maybe maybe we noticed two different ones oh okay um, is yours in the back half of the movie um mine's early on okay so is mine so uh they're going to control's apartment and smiley says I'm sure you got the keys for Control's apartment. And, like, no one's on screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's clearly voiceover that was done later to explain, hey, we're about to go to Control's apartment. <laughs> okay, then yes, yes, same, same okay, spot. Okay, I couldn't, I did not remember the car detail. So, um, I just, I was so caught over. But, like, that's one moment in this two-hour movie, whereas the snowman, that happens, like, every five minutes. I know, it's... <laughs> I, it's so bad. Yeah. And also, another thing to hear so much, the, the dialogue is so minimal for, I would say, like, the first 40 minutes of this movie. Like, there yeah. is dialogue, but it is at a fucking minimum, you know? They're, yeah, the whole movie, it, it's, I, I would say it's, like, minimalist, it's, yeah, it's, you know? Not it just the dialogue. It definitely like, picks up. The dialogue definitely picks up as it goes. Along. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. once Ricky Tar enters the picture and then Smiley gives, like, his whole monologue... You can definitely feel a bit of an uptick, but like the first forty minutes, no one is sitting down and telling you what's going on, right? Yeah, I checked out some interviews with like uh, Mark Kermode and Gary Oldman, Thomas Alfredson, just like a little yeah. flourish background stuff, right? And Gary Oldman's like, yeah, I think it's like fifteen minutes before I have a word of dialogue, and I timed it, and it's like pretty close. Yeah. It's like. And it's like 16, 17 minutes. And is his first line just him going, I'm retired? Like, it's just <laughs> him being like, I don't even want to be here. But, uh, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Yeah, but, and, you know, there's there's, uh, there's this weird sort of, like, reaction. I think a lot of modern uh, screenwriting, I'll say, professors or leaders <laughs> tend to have where it's like, well, your protagonist has to want something. Yeah. Right? We need to feel that from the get-go so we know where they're going. And I understand the necessity to learn that at the top. I think everyone should have that approach when they're first getting started. Yeah. Understand that that's not always the case, because here, it feels like he doesn't want anything for, like, the whole movie. I mean, he, he has, there's the complicated relationship with his wife. Which yes. Is like, but, like, that's also something not revealed until, like, way into the movie. Yeah. You know? And also, here's another thing that's kind of insane. I think this movie just assumes you have read the book or have seen the miniseries. Like, I think that's partly why it feels like it can be so brisk, just because just as a comparison, this isn't like a spoiler too much in case people like have not are listening and haven't decided whether or not they want to watch yet. But the opening of the miniseries is very similar to the opening of uh, the movie, which is control meeting with Jim Perito, right? And but the miniseries is very direct being like, Hello, Jim. There's a lot of like fucking British talking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so uh I need you to go to Budapest. I need the name of a mole. He's at the top of the circus. The circus being our organization, dear friend. And uh here are the code names and it's based after the nursery rhyme Tinker Tailor Soldier Sailor, which is nursery rhyme I guess. I had never heard it, honestly. Yeah, um, it might be a British nursery I rhyme. guess the fucking British with their nonsense. I know. It's Tinker Tailor, Soldier Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man, Beggar Man, Thief. 
So that's the full nursery rhyme. Uh, and in this, he subs out. Uh, he's like, okay, this guy is Tinker. This guy is Taylor. This guy is whatever. Like he, he lays out the whole thing right at the start. That's like the opening of that miniseries, <laughs> which is probably the correct way to do a story, right? Like quote unquote mm-hmm. correct way to do a story. Um, here, let me look at my notes real quick. Uh, I'm trying to figure out when, when is the exact moment we get, I think we do not get the nursery rhyme Tinker Taylor until an hour and 15 into this movie. Jesus. Like they don't even bother to explain what Tinker Taylor is <laughs> until that deep into the movie. So it is a movie where like, you kind of either have to know the material going in or you have seen the movie <laughs> to really vibe with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting choice. I think it works, but like, it also is something where like you would never tell someone to write a story this way. Yeah. Yeah. You, and I would also encourage people not to try this the first yeah. time you know like like this is something you kind of got to build up to you got to learn the rules before you break them and, and all it that does shit. it does feel like maybe there was an edit of the movie that was more straightforward right um because we do open with jim meeting with control but then the actual and he's like he, he tells him like i need you to go to find the name of the mole at the top of the circus right that's the mm-hmm. opening we get that out of the way but we don't get tinker taylor then we get the rest of that scene an hour and 15 into the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like you could have easily put that scene in the opening, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, like, is quote-unquote the correct way to do it, but it, I don't mind it. And I kind of like the way it, like, ramps up the tension once you know what it is. Well, it ramps up the tension, too, but it's also, like, conveying the story to the audience the same way the characters are piecing it together mm. in the film. You know well, that, I mean? that's the other really like this almost feels like first year film school analysis of this movie, but I think it's true. This movie is trying to get you to watch this movie like you're a spy almost. You know? Yeah. Like where you're you're mm-hmm. looking for the little details everywhere. They want to put you in the same mentality as George Smiley, where everything means something. But also maybe not. <laughs> like, yeah. So like it also is about how this sort of shit can drive you insane. <laughs> Um, but hey, it also opens with a mother getting shot in the head. Oh yeah, oh, right, with her baby in her arms. Here's something though. So like, this is a, this a big theme of this movie is like you kind of you can't tell who you can trust, right? Like mm-hmm. who is what? So that woman gets shot in the opening by complete accident. Now, pretty much everyone on that street is a spy in that opening, right? Like they have the whole street. Pretty much. Yeah. So like, is that woman also a spy? But the baby's moving. Well, yeah, no, the baby was real. So like, there's two insanely dark details here. (laughs) One (laughs) is that it was a mother that was shot, which is awful. Right. The other is that she was a spy. She was in on it and they got her a baby to be a prop. (laughs) Like, those are both very dark things. 
those are. And I don't. And the the read is valid. Yeah, I think it's one of those where like you don't really know, and that's what's fucked up about it. I mean, mm-hmm. that opening is is just like, what the fuck? Yeah, um, yeah. Let me break down. I'm gonna break down all the characters. Okay, quick. let's do it. Um, do like a really quick version of it. Um, so like I said, control the circus is the name of the British intelligence. That's the also the book Tinker Taylor is is famous for kind of letting a lot of the lingo um out there uh that spies really use like that it's it's known for popularizing a lot of this stuff stuff that it's oh like oceans 12 fuck off but uh <laughs> oh wait you know park chan wook almost directed this yes yeah. oh my god I mean, clearly that, that... he was circling uh lakari so like because he does do the little drummer girl later yeah which... he would have been great i think this is alfredson he would have been good he would have been good um, but L- Little Drummer Girl does honestly feel more up Chan Wook's alley um, once you mm. see it. It seems a lot more in his wheelhouse. They almost did The Revenant. I know. With, I know. So we were like, that one would have we, been we were, fucking fantastic. With Sam Jackson, was almost was going to be in it. So we were like robbed of literally the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> that one. That one's a real bummer. Um, but okay, so the circus. Um, at the top of the circus was Control. Control, what? That's his. The only name he's given is Control, played by John Hurt. Now, at the start of the movie, he's forced out based on the botched Budapest operation, right? That's mm-hmm. so he's forced out. He dies like within the first five minutes. <laughs> so I don't feel like that's a spoiler to just tell people. I feel like I could tell yeah. someone this before watching the movie, and that would be fine. Um, George Smiley, who is the co- he gets the code name Beggar Man in the uh, in the Tinker Tailor uh, rhyme. Uh, he was he was Control's right hand man. Is also forced out with him following the Budapest operation. Uh, Percy, L- oh, uh, I guess it's George Smiley, played by Gary Oldman, uh, who does a fantastic job. I just gotta say. <laughs> Yeah, he um, does. He does. Playing a real like like kind of measured. I don't know if measured's the right word, but he's such a like locked down guy in this movie. Yeah, and he uh in one of the interviews I saw, he also mentioned that like he felt like he was waiting thirty years to play a role like that because he gets he gets a lot of notoriety, you know, for like the everyone yeah. and shit like that. And he gets one moment like that in this movie, and it is like it's like a fucking shotgun blast to the face. <laughs> it's like what happens. Yeah. <laughs> only time Smiley's like that the whole movie, and it's perfect. It's like they hired Gary Oldman for that one line almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Percy Alline, played by the great, the fucking great Toby Jones, um, who I just love. I love Toby Jones. He is a delight every time he pops up on screen. I, I really hope he gets uh starring leading roles yeah like more often because he he's fantastic in everything he's yeah in. oh god he was in fallen kingdom i forgot what a- no no he's fun Fuck. in that he's fun uh, yeah that. but like he deserves better oh god he was in empire of light the movie we just all agreed to forget exists like <laughs> I haven't seen it, but Deacon's got a nomination, and that's just because he's Roger Deacons. Yeah. I have to respect that. Yeah, good for I didn't even know that until this moment. He was yep, front and center is. in that trailer. Um oh. someone knows the power of Toby Jones because he's also front and center 
in the Indiana Jones five trailer. Like, yeah, they, they made him. You see more of him in that than I think Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> I don't think Mads Mikkelsen's in it. He's in it for he? half a second. Oh, you you see go. him as a, a Nazi. Um, and I'm honestly, the only thing I'm excited about with that movie is Toby Jones. <laughs> like, I'm sure Mads will be good, but also like Mads has been wasted in villain roles before. So. Wait, wait. I, I'm I'm holding hope because of James Mangold. Yeah. I'm holding out. Toby Jones was also in The Snowman, which. Oh, God. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. There's a lot of. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. He's an Atomic Blonde, remember? Atomic yeah, Blonde? I like Atomic Blonde. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what was, what uh, he's a uh, Armin Zola in the fucking Captain America movies. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, no, he's so much fun in that. I would argue but, yeah, the first one. His appearance in the second one got me invested in the MCU for about five more years because that appearance is so stupid <laughs> that it's kind of brilliant. Where he's like, his brain has been put into a bunch of, like, 1980s computers. Yeah, oh no, I love that. That's when I was like, okay, we're we're going yeah. here now. I'm buckling up, you know? Because it felt like at that moment, like, so many movies at that time, I think we were pivoting so much in the, like, gritty realism direction, that when something that dumb happened in Captain America the Winter Soldier, I was kind of like, okay, I'm here for it. Yeah. We are both of us out of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, he's fucking great. He's in that one scene for that movie. I know. In an exposition dump, and it was like, fuck yeah, dude. See, guys like that, they're so underrated. If you can, if there's a guy who can do exposition good, like, fucking hold on to him. Like, yeah. They really matter. Although I do really like his scene with Tom Lee Jones in the first Avenger, where he's uh, like, his... you don't like steak? It disagrees with me. <laughs> he has get the, the great. Rumbly tumblies. He has the great. His target is everywhere. <laughs> Oh, that's Toby Jones rules. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking. How about cyanide? Does that give you the rumbly tumblies too? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh man, right. that first one's good. I, I don't know, man. Oh, my, oh, I know you don't. You're not crazy about it, but he was Carl Rove in W, which <laughs> he's fine in it. He's honestly good in it. That movie's not good. yeah. He was no. Truman Capote in the other Capote movie. That's pretty good casting. Yeah, frankly. honestly, it's great casting. But he was probably the only person happy when Philip Seymour Hoffman died. <laughs> Oh, that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, he was Dolby the house elf. Oh, of course. Remember Dolby? You get stabbed. That's so fucking Dolby sad. Dolby is a free elf. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that shit's aged really well. Uh, <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. You know, like uh, they did Vegas odds on like what character would die. In Deathly Hollows, that's so fucking and funny. Dolby was like a hundred to one or something like insane like that. Like like there was there was no chance. He was gonna, <laughs> so if you had bet on Dolby, you would have won a shit ton of money. You never have to work again because you bet on the house elf biting it. Yeah, exactly. Someone could have profited off that fucking elf. Um. Oh, he was uh he was the pickpocket in the Adventures of Tintin. Oh, he's that's great. Yeah, he's great in that. Has he done any other Spielbergs? I would hope he. I hope he works with Spielberg. Spielberg feels like he gets some use out of him. Yeah, I don't think he has, he has but he, he could do it. 
He did that. Uh, did you ever see Varian Sound Studio? Varian Sound Studio. No. It's like a psychological horror film. Uh, he's the lead in that. Um, it's very, it's it's good. I like it. I, I don't know how it's aged. It was one of those where like 2012. It was like, man, this is fucked up. So maybe it was like trying. It was trying to be like a little bit Italian. Um, it's like he's a sound engineer who normally does children's films. He's been hired to work on like a horror film, and it he it makes him upset. <laughs> no. Um, is it like blowout? Um, no. <laughs> but, I mean, see, I liked it. He was in Your Highness. Okay. Oh, um, I remember your highness. Why does that movie keep coming up? Because I don't know. It's it does seem it, that is a weird like someone really believed in that movie, and they really shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that one's got like a redemption arc coming up. Um, let me check what it's people are saying on Letterboxd right now, just real quick, because like that's the place where it would start. Your highness. Um, the top review is a five star review, oh which my just God. but it's just two quotes from the movie. Um, a three and a half star review saying Natalie Portman should have won an Oscar, and then a one star review saying that Natalie Portman is good in it, but everything else is bad. And then every the other people I follow have all given it like three stars, which is like middle of the road. So. I don't know. Maybe there's a redemption in the future. Yeah, anything is possible. Anything is possible with Bush in the White House. <laughs> uh, then we get uh, Bill Hayden is Taylor, played by the great uh, Colin Firth. Yeah, the original Paddington. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah, and then um, the producers and directors were like. We don't think you're the right voice for the role, and he he agreed and he obliged. Yeah, that and, uh, makes sense. I like Colin Firth, but yeah, me too. His voice coming out of that bear might not have worked. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> a little too elderly statesman. Yeah. Um. Then we get uh, Roy Bland. He's soldier. Another member. He's kind of he does feel like the muscle of the group. You know, mm-hmm. just, maybe this is because he's imposing, so imposing. Yeah. Buy, uh, Which is why you cast Kieran Hines. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, the last member at the top of the circus is Toby Esterhouse, played by, I don't actually know that actor. David Densick. David Densick. You know what other spy thriller he was oh, in? Oh, he's in No Time to Die. Yeah, he's the racist Russian doctor. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, he was on Chernobyl. That makes sense. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's like typecast as like weird Russian guy, yeah. but whatever. <laughs> he's in both Girl with the Dragon Tattoos. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's in the Swedish and uh and American Dragon Tattoo. Well as two completely different characters also. Alright. Remember the girl with Well, the you know tattoo? who did the Yeah, yeah. Do you know who directed the sequels to that? Um. Well, didn't the same guy do the first three? Uh, the Swedish no. ones. The Swedish ones. Nope. Oh. The first film was directed by Niels Arden Oplov. The sequels were directed by Daniel Alfredson. Oh. Thomas Alfredson's brother. Oh, okay. That makes some sense, actually. Yeah. I don't like love those movies, and like, there's definitely like they didn't have any money to make those sequels. 
Yeah. But uh yeah. Uh yeah, I'm not I'm not crazy about those either. Remember the girl um, in the spider's web? Oh my god. Uh, fucking I I have a soft spot for that director, even though he's made vile, disgusting films. Mm. Um that's that's a terrible movie, yep. and I don't know what the fuck happened there. That was a weird one where, like, What's-Her-Name was also, like, she was ready to do... Rooney Mara was like, I want to do the sequel, but they never called me. Yeah. Which is just crazy. <sighs> um, she was kind of like... I mean, say what you will about that movie, but she's great in it. Uh, she's a great actress. Yeah. She, she's, like, not... I don't know. She she hasn't really been given opportunity. No. Well, I like. think the girl with Dragon Tattoo was supposed to be that. And then that movie kind of like it did well, but also like not well enough to get a se- get the sequels made, even though it was clearly teed up to do that. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's like David Fincher kind of has that problem with um, uh, Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl too. Everyone's like, "Whoa, <laughs> she's gonna be the new It Girl," and she's just like, "Not." Yeah. Even though another very talented actress, and I'm not saying it's David Fincher's fault. I'm just saying, like, what a weird, unfortunate track record. Yeah. Well, also, David Fincher has a weird track record. I was just like, he just, like, is he just burning bridges everywhere or something? Like, why can't Maybe. he get movies made? Like, Girl Track well, and he... Gone Girl were both hits. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and Social Network. Like, three in a row. Like, Girl, Girl Dragon Dragon 2, you could argue underperform, but it's still made. That's a movie with, like, an insanely violent rape scene in it, and it made $200 million. Right? Mm-hmm. That's insane. And... Yeah, he's gotta just have a... His reputation precedes him, I guess, is what I'll well, say. Well, because there's the... Because we'll actually bring him up twice um, going forward, but there's, like, him signing on, or, like, dropping out of projects and shit and like pissing some very powerful producers off. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just ends up at Netflix, which is where he does Mank and he's doing the killer now. Right. That's a Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although did Netflix make it or did they just pick it up? I think they're making, I think it's a full on Netflix original. But also, because remember he also did house of cards with them. he, He just did the pilot for house of cards. Yeah, but he executive produced, like he put his name on it, and that's what mostly gets it made. Yeah, but he, you know, and then he has uh, Mindhunter, which also was oh, yeah, one of the of one of Netflix's biggest hits. Everyone loved it, and then it just they were just like, we're not, we're not, it's not worth bringing it back. Like, yeah, I don't understand that at all, and I never even saw Mindhunter. And part of it I've heard is just that like Fincher, it's that Fincher doing like a thousand takes type thing. But also the weird thing about it is that most actors don't that have worked with Fincher don't complain about the, the many takes. Like, yeah, I, and if they do, they're not really back, and then you don't hear about well, it. Well, I think uh, Robert Denny Jr. didn't like it on Zodiac. I think he was upset about that. And then I, I'm i assuming, I think what I've heard is that Daniel Craig really brushed up against it for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And mm-hmm. that maybe is what affected the sequel getting made. Uh, it could have. You know, it's funny, though. I, another conversation I listened to recently um, for Glass Onion, and he was saying, like, he was asked about his relationship with David Fincher, and he was like, you know, we had a ball together, and, like, it was fun. Okay. Like, it, we had a lot of... So, but, but you know, he's also changed his dialogue about how he speaks about James Bond, you know? I mean, I'm not saying he can't feel differently, like, nostalgically or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, time 
sometimes does heal wounds, I guess. Because <laughs> I, I remember the story being like he was the big he was a big obstacle to getting the second one made, and that's he's part of the reason why they never made a sequel to the girl with the dragon tattoo. Is that he Well, you know what? Actually that might be a good point, because Dragon Tattoo comes out two thousand eleven, <laughs> Skyfall two thousand twelve. Yeah. And then almost immediately they work on Spectre for like fucking forever yes. and everyone's like i'm gonna kill myself it was like a disastrous production and then i think fincher i mean not fincher i think uh craig wanted a lot of money up front for the dragon tattoo sequels but i don't know i don't know it's yeah. strange but here here's a segue back to um tinker tail soldier spy so fincher's got like the the bajillion takes per whatever right <laughs> another comment by gary oldman was that he was like, yeah, it was like a two take show, <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't heavy at all, and they just knew what they wanted, you yeah. know, and uh, which is maybe the the lack of general coverage and stuff like that, and you know, like people are taught to get coverage in film school because you should cover your ass, but plenty of filmmakers don't uh, a lot time for it because if you're setting up shots for coverage, you're also spending time to set up those shots, which might eat into your time yeah. for the stuff you want to get, and then you end up not using like your B camera or C camera, then it's like, well, now you're wasting time and money and resources, mm. you know? Well, it's also... So it, I, it seems like a pretty breezy sh- shoot. I also think everyone who wants to be, like, a great director, like, every, anyone who fancies themselves a great director has the whole, like, Alfred Hitchcock Rebecca story in the back of their head. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Where, uh... What is it? It's, uh... Who's the guy? Let me check, just so I get the name right. Um, that's one of the David O. Selznick produced Hitchcock films, right? And mm-hmm. Selznick basically, like, when Selznick made movies, he he basically edited them himself, right? Like, right, he, right, he was like, right. I'm going to make it the way I want. And Hitchcock, knowing this, I believe the story is he shot Rebecca in chronological order <laughs> and then did, like, no coverage and was like, you're going to use the shots I give you. Like, so, like, you literally couldn't edit it any other way. So Fantastic. That was, and I think that's where Hitchcock gets his kind of style. Like, that's why he storyboards so many of his movies before he made them, you know? Mm-hmm. Rebecca, good movie. Yeah, very good movie. They remade that they recently. They did, and it was like, a, it got, like, savage. I never watched it. Yeah, I like uh, that I know, that dude, that, what so the fuck bad. happened there? I don't like, know. He did High Rise like right before yeah. that, and I fucking High Rise. I love High Rise. I, think was, I don't think I've seen High Rise yet. Okay, I'll check it out. Once, but I, no, I read it's the one book. Of those I movies, love. I love the JG Ballard book. Uh, it's one of those movies that made me feel like my head was spinning as I was watching it. At and a I, point. I am a defender of Free Fire. Same. I think I've same. brought it up. I don't know why that movie got such a like beat down on it. Like I'm not gonna sit here and be like it's a masterpiece, but it's like for what it is. It's like a genre exercise. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Do people just hate what's her name, Brie Larson? Like, is that they might? Is that and like I what it is? Like, I might maybe because that was like 2016. She wasn't even Captain Marvel yet. Yeah, people are weird, man. People are strange. And now he's doing Meg too. Yeah, I think we've had this conversation before on the podcast. So apologies to everyone, but. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's so weird. I, I'm ben, excited for the Meg too. Ben Wheatley was like, like that weird, like kill list and sightseers back to back was like this really like, oh, this guy's someone to watch, right? Mm-hmm. And then like, I don't know what happened, man. Um, and it's like everyone turned on him, and then I, I hadn't seen In the Earth, but that also got fairly bad reviews. Although it, it Rotten Tomatoes, it, it, it did. I liked it a lot. I have to see it. Maybe I'm just, 
I, I think I need to learn that letterbox is uh wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a better way to put it, but um it seems to be it seems like letterbox is a site dedicated to the hatred of film. <laughs> I think people forget that other people are making art. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is algorithms determining what people get to make the art. Yeah. But um, I think it's a little easier to forget the complicated nature of the making of these things. So it's, it's easier to both overwhelmingly praise and cast stones. And we're all guilty of it. Just something to keep in mind, you know, as we move forward. But I, there's also so much of it where it's like, it feels like so many reviews of people going like, I know tropes in movies. <laughs> or, or, More like Tinker, Taylor, Boring Spy. Uh, or like, oh, you try. Look, here's something weird. Do you remember this? I think this just stopped just because of Nope, which is I'm happy for. But it felt like people were out for Hoyt Van Hoytemann for a while. Like, I saw people complaining up and down about the guy. Mainly because he did, really, mainly because he did Spectre. That looked that's a good looking movie too. But I think it was that thing of like people were like, "Ah, but it does. It's not. It's no Skyfall." <laughs> like, remember? Like, <laughs> yeah. Which you know, that had Roger Deakins, who is great. I'm not going to deny it, but it was that weird. Like because it wasn't Roger Deakins, they were out for him, and people complained about that shit forever. And like people were kind like they. I'm not saying they were down on him for Dunkirk, but they weren't, like, into it. And then they were really, like, Ad Astra, fuck that. Like, and I was like, are you people insane? <laughs> and then I think Nope has got, got people to just shut the fuck up. But... Yeah, because he clearly knows what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, but, like, for a while, I'm like, you don't shit-talk the guy who did Tinker Tailor, man. Like, this is one of the best-looking movies of the 2010s. Yeah. And... Uh, just driving me nuts. Um, let's see. Um, and I, I think everyone else we can just go through as they are introduced in the movie. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the basic setup. Um, the only other guy is uh, Jim Preto, I guess we can just talk about early, played by uh, Mark Strong. Yes. Is the agent sent to Budapest to get the name of the mole at the top of the circus. Shit does not go well. <laughs> No. Well, the lady gets shot in the head. He gets shot, presumed dead. Um, and that's a that's an int- that's a just intense scene. Uh, yeah. Is this the best Mark Strong performance? Ooh, he is fantastic. Strong is he- is, but also Mark Strong is a guy who like he does his fucking job when he shows. Up, yes. You know, he's fucking good in Green Lantern. He's good in Green Lantern. Know? He's good in the Kingsman movies, which he really didn't need to be. No, he's he's great in those. Uh, so is Colin Firth. He's good frankly. in Shazam. Like he's oh yeah, I, I like Shazam. I, but no, he's he's real like, funny. You know no one would have complained if he phoned it in on Shazam. What yeah. I'm saying. Um, so he's good in uh, he's good in fucking rock and rolla. Uh, oh yeah, well everyone. The old Archie slap is that what? It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as Lord. Blackwood in uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Uh, I can't believe Blackwood ended up being a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's actually kind of a shock he wasn't in Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. Yeah, it is a little shocking. It's like the one he wasn't in. (laughs) Um, 
What's the one? He's also I really like him in Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, as the one guy, I think he doesn't even really have like he just has like a one. I think he's just called George or something. Um, yeah. No, George Panetta. He, he's and he has that speech where he comes in and complains about all the bad intelligence everyone's getting. And I just remember bring me people to kill, which is like psychotic. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's good. He's but he's also he's not in this movie a ton. But when he no, is, no. it is kind of like the most compelling thing on the screen. And we do get different levels of Mark Strong, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't think of one because he's also there's he, there's a, a tragic romance with his character, you know? Yeah. At the heart of the movie, which you don't really expect. Uh, there's a there's a tragic romance. There's a failure to like secure his place as like a normal citizen mm-hmm. you know like like he can't be a normal person he's a, as much he's as he a literally broken man he has children mocking him for being crippled yeah the, as, as, during one of his introductions and yeah so like you get different you get him trying to take that kid under his wing which is just it's just devastating mm-hmm. and um but he's he's really good in this so, i guess that i mean at this point i hope you've gone to watch the movie if you haven't seen it um, although you might benefit from listening to us talk about it to know what the fuck the movie's about, yeah. or seeing it. I honestly can't tell you if it is better to see the movie or to listen to this before seeing the movie, or to see it then listen to this. Yes, and uh, I'll just say also uh, that this is just for you that um, I am a little under a timetable, oh. so like we, we can we can finish off the hour, okay, for sure. But um. Just a heads up. Okay, if if we gotta if we have to come back maybe some other time we can, but I'll try okay. I'll try to go as fast as I can. Alright. Um, Alright. So the botched Budapest mission happens, control gets thrown out, and then the t- title comes up and like during the credits control dies. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's one of those things where, like you could blink and you miss it. Um we follow the files, like we get the whole like layout of how the kind of circus operates all visually told, right? Like we get the different yeah, yeah, yeah. layers as they're exiting, which is like this really sad sequence of just the different people being really sad at like watching this guy who clearly he's, they call him control. God damn it. He must've been a master spy at one point and he must've done a great job. And now he's like ending on this horrible note of his career. And it's, it's this really also here's something. Did you get, you know what this movie reminded me of this time watching it? Which I didn't expect. Um, oh, which one was uh, the Greta Gerwig Little Women? Whoa! Okay. Cause well, because <laughs> that movie that that does the thing where it's like it tells the story non-linearly, right? And yeah. there's the mix of like the warmth of when the whole family was together and the gray that comes later after like they've experienced some tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the that they. they this is most this is mostly gray, but when they go back to like the quote good old days where they're like at the Christmas party and shit like that, which is the recurring flashback, there's a lot of warmth in that, which is absent from most of the rest of the film. Yeah. Uh I believe that is also not in the book, right? That scene? The, the Christmas party? Um, I, I don't believe I believe it's like referenced, but not it is not like a sequence. Okay. Um, that's a lot of the book is not the book is much more straightforward. Um, John McCary has a cameo in the Christmas party, by the way. Oh, does he? One of the party people. <laughs> oh, good for him. So, uh, that's a big. So, control gets forced out. Percy Allied, Toby Jones takes over. 
And a big thing that kind of leads to him being the guy taking over is that he's running an operation called Witchcraft. Now, Diego, can you explain how Witchcraft works? No, <laughs> but I think uh, you mentioned how this movie is actually not that complicated. It's just told in a very complicated manner. I mean, right off the bat, you have the bit where it's like, oh, we were so curious about like getting information on this specific outlet of like Russian intelligence. Lo and behold, Toby Jones shows up with something from Operation Witchcraft. Yeah, that comes a little bit. exact information. <laughs> that comes a little bit. When does that flashback happen? Um, does that come later? It comes a little later. Um, Damn, this movie fucking moves. <laughs> I remember that being like 20 minutes well, in. Well, it is 20 minutes in, but, but so much happens in those 20 minutes. Mm. But like we, we, we see witchcraft. Like there's a lot of people going like, we need funding for witchcraft. We want to buy a house for our secret source. And we don't really know what it is. But we eventually get, 20 minutes in later, we get a flashback. I believe this is uh, this is after Smiley has kind of been recruited to look into this mole situation. And this is a flashback that happens while they're looking at Control's apartment. And this is important because while they're there, they find the chess pieces with everyone's pictures on it, right? And we find out that not only did Control suspect everyone at the top of the circus, he also suspected Smiley. Like, that's how... That's how much, like, he didn't trust anyone by the end of his career, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a big deal. But then we get the flashback, and yeah, and they're like, oh, just what uh, the government has been looking for. Percy has gotten this information, and it's like, it's topicality is suspicious. <laughs> Smiley is suspicious, Percy. My chocolate's <laughs> so good in this. Oh, yeah, he rules. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're like, they're... Percy's basically gone around him and has gone to the minister and been like, hey, give me money. I got a secret source. Basically, he's really making a play to take over, like before anything has mm -hmm. happened at this point, right? Which is yeah. like, it is one of those, like, aren't you guys supposed to be, you know, doing intelligence work? Not, <laughs> not, uh, it's, this shouldn't be a political thing. And so Toby Jones, like, clearly this conniving Latin climber, and he's like, yeah, I got a secret source. I'm not telling you guys because I got to keep them secret, and there's too many leaks around here. So there's already been this problem going on at this point. Mm. Um, and you get a uh, here in Heinz like we uh, we should be fighting communism, not each other, which is a good. <laughs> and fucking Toby Estraus, who's like this, like he's kind of a uh, what what would you call him? He's like a toady, right? Yeah, like, he's he's kind of a toady to Percy. And he does it like, he's like, we have to decide if we want to be part of the uh, past or part of the future. And John Hurt's like, I should have left you where I found you. Which is so good. Um, and that's that's the other thing about uh, Toby Estras is he's actually Hungarian and has been recruited into the circus. So he's like an outsider that managed to get his way to the top. All these guys have reasons to be the spy, right? Like mm -hmm. As that are revealed throughout. Um, but yeah, so like everyone's forced out. It, a year passes, control dies. Uh, a, an agent named Ricky Tarr, played by Tom Hardy, comes back and makes a call to the undersecretary of the circus and is like, "Hey, I got information on. Uh, I got information that is vital to the safeguarding of the circus. Contact Peter Gwillem, who is uh, the guy, his boss, 
played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Probably, uh, the first performance I noticed him in. Although, when does Sherlock come out? I think 2012, but I saw this after Sherlock. Yeah. So, I, Sherlock was the first for me. Although, I think he's a hostage negotiator in the movie Four Lions, which is a weird <laughs> role for him. Oh, no, that's a good movie. Yeah, I love, I love that movie, but it's funny watching it now being like, that guy's Sherlock. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, Peter Gwilm, who's like a really like low on the totem pole type guy in the circus, kind of gets recruited to vouch for Ricky Tar. Ricky Tar has information. He's like, there's a mole at the top of the circus. I can basically prove it. Um, I don't know who it is. I just know they exist because of what happened to me. And they reach out to Smiley. And like, Smiley, I want you to run this operation. And Smiley at first isn't going to do it. But then he's like, there's a mole and control believe there's one. And he told the undersecretary, he's like, he told me. And when he, when he realizes control believed there was a mole, then he's like, okay, that's real. And that's what basically gets him involved. All of this, it's really simple stuff, but it's all in the first 20 minutes. And those 20 minutes are dense with just like dialogue scenes of people posturing of all sorts of shit happening. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I want to go too into it. No, but I mean, it's also worth mentioning that there's some characters established without dialogue who don't come back for like another hour yeah. into the movie. We get- like uh, one of my favorite actors, Stephen Graham, is in the opening, just yeah. passing by. And then he, he doesn't come become important until like an hour and, and a half pivotal. into the movie. He's pivotal. Yeah. Too. Um, and then you get a lot of people like that. You get Car- the first mention of Carla comes pretty early. Carla, who we never see in the movie, who is the Soviet counterpart, basically, to Smiley, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, the, it's, they're nemesises, right? Which come into play. But they get nemesis. Nemesi. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, like, we can mention him being like, he probably doesn't have problem getting money over in uh, Moscow, huh? which is their way of trying bullying the undersecretary <laughs> into handing over money. Um, all right. I got so many fucking notes. <laughs> and a lot of it is just breaking down. Like there's so much, like there's so many shots in this of, uh, like I said, when they go to control's apartment, then we get the flashback. When we come back, we see the chessboard with all the, pe- all the pieces on it with all the pictures. And then once that flashback's over, we get smiley turning the one around that has his face on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that scene ends with the control scene with the, the first talk of witchcraft ends with control being like nothing's genuine anymore which is like the beginnings of like the cold war is like breaking these people <laughs> like <laughs> they, no one can trust anyone anymore yeah and it get, it's it starts getting like really oppressive <laughs> yeah i mean that's more like the production design even like gives it like a, an extra little boost too because everything's so gray and like like everything looks like it takes place during the fall yeah you know everything's gray brown Beige. But I think that's just England. <laughs> that might just be England, which is why like spy thrillers are so perfect for them. Because mm-hmm. they're not sexy like James Bond. They're just this mm-hmm. miserable, drained of all life. <laughs> so I'm just I'm only gonna hit I'm gonna just try to hit the important stuff. Um, but basically we find out that like witchcraft is this secret source Toby Jones has within the Soviet. He's given them information that's like really good. It's they, they refer to it as like like they use the word treasure and gold dust like repeatedly to to reference it as like how good this information is. 
And it's really made up for the Budapest operation, because when that thing failed, it was like a major disaster, right? Yeah. It like caused all sorts of like international controversy. It was framed as Mark Strong's character had tried to kidnap a Hungarian general. Um, so like there was like there was tank movements. It was one of those like this almost started a war bad type operations, and it's reflected very poorly on British intelligence. But now that they have witchcraft, they're back in the game, quote unquote, which includes getting direct access to American information right yeah that's like the big like goal for uh toby yeah, dunn's character right? yeah he keeps bugging him being like look we have witchcraft it is per it is great they they're gonna want it and we can use this to get ongoing intelligence from the americans and they're like great um so that's like the big setup now again remember someone at the top of the circus is a is a mole for the russians so it's a big deal that now this is like it's they're so exposed and so like someone clearly is orchestrating something we're not no one's totally sure what for a while um blah 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 we also i gotta say there's a very minor character in this who I, plays a bigger role in the miniseries and in the book um mendel did you even pick up on this guy yeah, you know why? Because he's in uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire right. as uh, oh, yeah. uh, Barty Crouch. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. That guy looks like my Theo Felix. <laughs> he's a spitting image of uh, of a great uncle of mine. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, I, and I don't know why. <laughs> he was also in the Rise of the Cybermen, the Doctor Who story that brought the Cybermen back. Oh, yeah. I actually know that yeah. one. Doctor Who was so much fun when it looked cheap as shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of, it's got to be scrappy. Yeah. You know, like, it can't make the Star Trek leap. And I don't mean, like, I don't think like Star garbage, Trek should have but... made the Star Trek leap. <laughs> it needs a little bit. I only say that because they're doing movies. I, movies I are different. TV movies are different. Yeah, I think with, but... with TV shows. You can do like a thing where it's like it's okay to kind of look. It like can that. It, it is fine know. if the computer terminals look like they're clearly about to fall over. Like, yes, I'm totally yes, totally fine with that because I'm watching. I show. want, I want that that excitement, adventure energy. Yeah. with with Doctor Who and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. Um. Well, that guy Mendel, he's a retired, I believe, just like he's kind of just like a beat cop, right? Like he's a former cop from the special branch. Yeah, so, yeah, like he's no one special. He's no one special, and they just bring him in. He basically does a lot of the grunt work. Like you're always seeing him in the background, like moving shit around. Um, mm. He's part of the big file changing operation. We'll get to him later, but he he plays uh, an oddly pivotal role and is barely on screen. <laughs> but there is the great scene where they go to pick him up, and it is this like we get this like entire story in like I think three shots, maybe. Mm -hmm. Which is all right. He goes. He, he, Gary Oldman's like, okay, if I want to do this, I want to bring Percy out, uh, I mean, Peter Gwillem in. He's like, I want Peter Gwillem, and then I want to bring in this guy named Mendel. Cut to Mendel in what I assume is his backyard, <laughs> tending, is like beekeeping. <laughs> this is what he's been doing in his off time. There's, it is never remarked upon. It's only on screen for like half a second. Cut to they're in the car, and like they have to deal with the fact that like bees have followed them. <laughs> And there's that scene where like the bee is bugging uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then George Smiley just opens a window. 
I love that. I, scene. I know it's terrific. Um, it's great, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, like it tells you everything you know about those characters. Yeah, it's like yeah, the one guy, you know, one guy doesn't give a fuck. The other guy is the old master, and this new kid, like, is clearly doesn't know what he's gotten into. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the first thing they do is he goes like, "I want a record. This this record isn't that important, so it's easier to get." He's just like, "I want a record of everyone." fired in the wake of control leaving you know like any sort of purges that happened and you know because there was a lot of forced retirements out of that percy has reshaped the circus and has stacked it with people that are mainly loyal to him right Mm -hmm. uh and two names pop out um connie sack and uh what's his name we just mentioned him (laughs) Uh, uh, Mendel? Yeah, no, no, uh, Jerry no, Westerby, played by Stephen Graham. Yes. Um, and those are like the two names that we saw in the opening credits. They were forced out like almost immediately after Control left. They say that. The other thing they start looking for to go through, quote unquote, the reptile fund, which is money being paid to, you know, former agents and stuff like that. Uh, look for discrepancies. It kind of reminds me of Heat a little bit. Remember the scene in Heat when they, uh, they go to the first crime scene and he's like, Go to the files, run the name Slick. You're going to get the phone book. Do it anyway. It's a lot like that of just they're going through really meticulous, unexciting stuff for the start of it. Um, But they go to Connie Sack, which is an incredibly depressing scene (laughs) in this movie. Um, We go to Connie Sack. Who is this actress? Um, Kathy Burke. Um, Does a great job in this uh, brief scene in the movie. I don't know if I've seen her in too much else. She's in Sid and Nancy from years ago. She was in Pan. I don't remember her in that I, movie. She might have had a smaller part. I saw Pan, like, once and, like, barely paid attention. So, yeah, it's uh, not not good. She barely does um, a voice in The Sea Beast. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember that character. Maybe it's... Uh, I it's who I'm thinking of. It's, she, she does a good job. Mm. If it's not, I'm sure she did a good job anyway. <laughs> I just don't know who it is. <laughs> I like that movie though. Um, yeah, she's great here, and uh, this this scene is is uh, downer. It's, all right, so like here's some just great filming. So we get a lot of Smiley's day to day, especially before he gets recruited into the circus. You know, we see him go to the optometrist mm-hmm. and shit like that. And there's a lot of just like you can get the sense of like that this guy has nothing in his life currently. He wakes yeah. up alone in bed, and the only hint that we get that he is married is that we see on a letter um, his wife's name. We get one close-up of that early in the film. We only get confirmed that his wife isn't around, not because she is dead, but because she is cheating on him. This information comes 30 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we get a lot of that. So before he goes to uh, Connie, we see him at like just a regular kind of shop on the street, right? It's like half a mm-hmm. second. We don't really know why he goes. He basically surprises Connie. She's like very happy to see him. And then he kind of acts like, Oh, Hey, I brought this gift with me, you know, like kind of trying to be like memorable or right? like, like, like playing nice to get information mm-hmm. out of her. And it's, there's something so sad about it. Like <laughs> that we have seen the motion he's gone through to be like, okay, I'm going to get the, get the alcohol so I can help kind of, you know, set her up so she can spill her guts about whatever I need her to say, right? 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, he clearly has some affection for her, and she clearly has a lot of affection for her and, quote, her boys. Like, she must have been, like, a bit of a, a den mother, almost. Because mm-hmm. she talks about the good old days of World War II. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a depressing notion. Um, and she she's the one who throws that, like, I heard Anne left you again. And she starts, like, going off, and that's when Smiley, like, cuts her off. Talk about uh, getting getting fired. And her thing is that, God, that's, this is, I, there's just going to be a lot of me being like, this is so fucking good. But <laughs> it's the scene of her being like, when she's watching the footage, right? On mm-hmm. repeat. And they're just doing the like zoom in on it. God, that's so fucking good. All uh, the zooms in this movie are fucking nuts. I know. They're so they're good. They're so good. Um, and where she's like, there's a, everyone knows that like Carla, there's like rumors Carla has set up a secret cell in London and that it's, it's stacked with former ex-military. Well, she was, she was supposed to do the biography on a guy named Polyakov. Polyakov is a cultural attache, goddamn it, um, for the Soviet embassy. You know, like a nothing, basically. He's, he's just a diplomat. But there's footage of him at a May Day parade where a soldier just salutes him for half a second. And why would you salute, you know, a bureaucrat like that? Like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, he would only get saluted if he was former military, which isn't that strange considering the era. But why would they hide the fact that he was former military? Mm-hmm. So it's like, this like one thing is like huge. <laughs> Okay, this is the type of stuff that it's like this one guy going like, and it's like, it's not like the guy does like this giant, like fucking, you know, salute at him. <laughs> like, it's the most like half-hearted salute. Like, oh, hey. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's a blink and you miss and it. It's I the, mean, fucking, the whole movie sets up stuff like it's that. It's the coolest shit on the planet. Like, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> and she goes to um, Percy and we see Percy and to- Toby Esterhaus meet with her. And she's like, this guy's definitely got some shady shit going on. And Percy immediately shuts her down and is like, you're spending way too much time on this. Like, leave him alone. Which is, like, odd for him to do, right? Mm -hmm. To be like, oh, why would he want to keep that a secret? And we find out shortly after we see the sequence of him going to the house that they have bought to keep the... So so the implication is Polyakov is is witchcraft. He is the guy giving information, right? So that's why he's being kept secret. Um, but we're only slowly putting this together. Uh, she also throws out the note, like she's like, oh, uh, there's, uh, she's, remember she's going through old pictures and shit. Like mm-hmm. there's Bill Hayden and uh, Jim Preto, the best friends in the whole world. Yep. Have the on the- <laughs> yep. Yep. And also, all right. She has that picture. Bill Hayden takes that same picture from Jim Preto's house. So did mm-hmm. he give it to her? Like this, I, this is—I don't know if this is the era where like people had tons of copies of the same picture. Maybe I feel like be, Bill but might it, have passed it to her it, in like an attempt to wash his hands a little bit. Yeah, maybe or yeah, because it's a Polaroid, yeah, right? It's a, so, yeah, it's a very so the, you you can't really get copies of those. It looks like the exact same photo. So somehow, yeah. So passed, maybe, maybe that's that's what it was. Bill then. Hayden passed it to her in some. Yeah. Probably being, maybe, he maybe gave her the whole file that like she just had, 
You know, like, oh, here's mm-hmm. a parting gift for when you leave the office. Because everyone, everyone likes Bill Hayden, um, except Gary Oldman, but we'll find out why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she has that depressing line where she's like, if she, she basically puts together, like, I, if you're asking me about this, that means I was right and that something's up and that this probably goes to the top. And she's like, look, if it's something bad, don't come back. Like, <laughs> I want to remember you all as you were. Which is so mm-hmm. sad. That is fucking depressing. Uh, and that's when we get the first I mean, th- Christmas party flashback goes like right from that, right? Which makes sense. Yeah. What are you about to say? Then you see her uh, all all dressed up and stuff yeah, like that. Too. Everyone's everyone all looks fucking... a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Control is fucking giving uh, Percy shit for fucking up the drink. Yeah. Like, He's like, it'll take us five hours to get drunk off this shit. And then Percy's like, I did the recipe. You can see how clearly he doesn't like working under control (laughs) in the background i don't know if you notice in the background like his wife like stands up to be like percy calm down and percy like grabs her like oh my god no i'm down (laughs) (laughs) it's like this insane background detail (laughs) they start playing uh, the second best secret agent um which is a great song (laughs) by sammy davis jr um and everyone's singing along everyone's having a happy time but we see Bill Hayden, Colin First character, making eyes at Smiley's wife. Mm-hmm. So what's 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 that about, huh? Uh, that about? Well, you know, can we get to the reveal of that? Um, well, I, all right, Bill Hayden's having an affair with Smiley's wife. Yeah, it, we don't get all the details because it comes later. Where there's the big scene where um, this guy goes. Uh, they interview. This comes way later, but we can just jump to it. Doesn't matter when they're interviewing Stephen Graham. And Stephen Graham was like, he was in charge the night the Budapest operation fucked up. And he's, you know, he's running. He, he was like, control basically shut down. Like, control, like, he realizes he's fucked and doesn't know what to do. So he's like, I called anyone. I called you, even though I knew you weren't home. And I talked to Anne, but she was, a, and then thank God Bill Hayden showed up. And they're like, wait a minute. Like, later, uh, Smiley and Benedict Cumberbatch are like, wait a minute. How did Bill Hayden know to show up? Like, what? Wh- how did they know the operation? Like, he he must be the guy. He had some insider information. And then Smiley's like, no, I he I know why I knew. And then it's like, why? He's like, because he was at my house. He was sleeping with my fucking wife. <laughs> and that and then we get the flashback to him when he gets caught with like the shoes undone. Remember? Um, mm. And he gave he gives the gift the painting, um, which he's like, I don't like it, but Anne likes it, which is like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, come on, guy, have some self respect. And that, that that painting becomes like a recurring image. Um, it's like in the opening credits, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which is like a detail you like just would be like you're not gonna notice that one until like your fucking fifth watch, maybe. Unless you're like <laughs> Galaxy Brain shit, but <laughs> I mean, you could you could follow this movie if you are pausing every five minutes to take notes, like I did. Like <laughs> that's what I kind of had to do. Or you have to just be the most focused individual on the planet, but yeah, and like I can never do that on my first watch. I know some people that can and still get enjoyment out of it. I kind of need to take it all in like at once, and I'm like, okay, now I'll go back. And also, we're getting we're regularly getting the shots of like how the files are passed through everything in the circus, right? Which is the cool right. that elevator shot where you get the camera inside the elevator. So oh, those, it's so fucking. Good. And you get that that row of offices inside the office where like they're in that little room right which is like this like mm-hmm. this, like soundproof little room where all the guys meet 
which is like that room in itself should have gotten an Academy Award. I know. I mean, goddamn. And it's and it's such like a distinct style for it too. Yeah. Like I I don't know why this got shut out of like proper awards contention because another one like I'll say this like out of uh, uh one of the interviews I heard like with Mark Kermode, he was like oh well, clearly this is gonna get like you're gonna get a lot of like Academy love and stuff like that yeah. and it's like they didn't yeah, they did. get any did they get any like this is they got nominated but they didn't get any they wins. got yeah they got best actor nomination adapted screenplay nomination and original score which is it is a great score um, yeah. or maybe he was referring to the British Academy Film Awards and they did get nominated like by a lot but they only won Three. Yeah, they did get nominated for best film, which is, they got outstanding British film, which is one of those categories that like they only do like every few years. So. Yeah, like imagine if we did outstanding American film for the Oscars. Yeah. you know I'm surprised we actually haven't. Frankly, hey, it might be considering this country. A lot of people keep complaining about the uh, international film or whatever the fuck. Yeah, and that guy got angry about Joker not winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what parasite is. Fucking people! I know, uh, I know. Five movie year Twitter. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and then so like the other thing is they go through the reptile fund and they find that a, a thousand pounds was paid out to Jim Preto, even though he's supposed to be dead. That's the other revelation that comes soon after this, mm-hmm. and that's when we get we find that Jim Preto is working. He's now teaching French at like a boarding school, right? Yeah. Like, uh, he he murders an owl in front of all the children. I know it's like so fucking brutal, wild scene. Um, and that inspires the young boy to go talk to him after class. Apparently, um, which uh, that that kid is also named Bill, like Bill Hayden. Mm. And there's the really sad, uh, like where they're like, "Oh, you're the outside." Like he's like, "I'm new." He's like. Okay, and he goes the unpaid bill. Anyone ever call you that? And the kids like no. Aww. And it's like, well, I know another bill who was probably called that. And that, that story <laughs> was told in a moment of confidence and vulnerability. And you think about that a lot for some reason, Mister Jim Burrito. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're like, and he's basically like, you're kind of like me. Like we're both kind of outsiders, right? Like you're a good watcher. Like we're both good watchers. Okay. Sets up this like kind of nice relationship between them. It is. It's it's real nice, and it's, it's also the introduction sad. of Jim Frito is him like his his trailer that he's now living in on school property, getting stuck in the mud. That's so depressing. Just being like fucking pissed off about it. Um. All right, let's let me go through. We get a lot of so like as this shit is going around. Um. We see a lot of, like, the top guys at the circus are all, like, moving around, talking to each other. They know that something's up. There's the one where uh, Kieran Hines kind of corners Peter Gwillem in the elevator, and you're, like, not sure until, like, the last minute if it's a friendly conversation or not, right? Mm-hmm. And that just turns out, it's like, oh, he just wants someone to go to lunch with him. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and... It's it's But I mean like that's like but, that's kind of the vibe of the whole thing. They don't know like who they can trust. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's everything is everyone's up for questioning, right? Mm. Um so then we get to um 40 minutes in, basically. 
around the 40-minute mark is when Tom Hardy comes back into the picture. And then we get the extended Tom Hardy sequence with him spying and falling in love, right? He falls in love with Arena, who is the wife of some other, like, KGB hood, right? Yeah. He thought it was someone who could be recruited, but it was kind of like a bullshit assignment. He, he was probably one of Carla's guys set up to, like, you know, like, as bait, you know? Yeah, um, but, yeah, red hand. But he sees her getting beaten up, and he's, like, he kind of, like, falls in love with her, you know? And I, I think this whole sequence... For, and this character in the book, too, is kind of a deconstruction of the James Bond-type character, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like he breaks every protocol you're supposed to do. He, he's, he's not listening to orders, and he falls in love and starts sleeping with this woman who's clearly, like, she's she is in a very vulnerable state, right? Like, yeah. I'm not saying his emotions are false, but he's not thinking about the precarious... Like, he's he shouldn't be doing this. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. He he really shouldn't be. Um, and she's like, "I want a new life in the West. I I can give information." And they try to float that, but no one in the circus is listening. And she finally admits that she knows uh, the name of the mole at the top of the circus. Like she explains how, like through her, you know, husband, she's heard these stories, and they so she knows who it is. And he's uh, Ricky Tar sends that information through. And then shit gets weird. We're like, they're stalling. And he's like, I didn't get a response. I don't know what was happening. Suddenly the Russians were on the move. I knew something was up. His fucking, the guy that works with him at the office, his handler is like brutally murdered. Yeah, that's like, that's the most vile part of the movie. Yeah, well, no, there's, I think there's one that's like a little worse. Just Maybe just because of the sheer brutality of it. You know? Oh, wait, 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 yeah. wait. Yeah, there's one more. Sorry. Um, and you get all that. We're just. And it's like this great, like, we don't see the fucking horrible murder torture that probably happened, but you hear the music turned up. So, like, that's like, oh, they turned the music up so no one would hear this guy getting murdered. Get a lot of that. We see Arena return home and her husband has been, like, gutted in the bathtub. It's like, this is like the moment suddenly gets, the movie suddenly gets, like, really intense. Mm -hmm. She gets captured and it's so, the shot of her getting put on that ship is so upsetting. Where yeah. she's in a stretcher, she gets put on a ship, and there's just, like, children playing back there. Like, they like it's just something that, like, you wouldn't know what was going... You, like, you would maybe go, like, something's wrong here, but you wouldn't know that, like, no, the worst thing ha- that could possibly be happening is happening right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think about... You oh, know when, so sad. In the movie uh, Reservoir Dogs, um, when the torture scene happens, when that dude gets his ear cut off, um, there's that scene where Mr. Blonde, he goes out to his car to get the gasoline, right? Mm-hmm. Camera follows him when the music stops, and you can hear like a father teaching his kid to play baseball <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. right? And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I kind of got, I have a similar vibe with that sequence. So Tar's like, I fucked up. I didn't know who to trust. Like, clearly. I sent this information to people high ranking in the circus and that's what got arena captured. He's like, I want you to get her back and I'll, I'll help you and do whatever you need. That's, that's the big thing. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, 
after this, uh, the- how that plays out is is just soul crushing. This whole movie is pretty crushing. Yeah, the movie's really crushing. After this, we the movie really picks up steam. I would argue. Um, after this sequence, not like a it has been super slow up to this point, but we get a few sequences in a row. Because um, like after this, we get the Peter sent to get the uh, uh, the logbook, right? Yeah. Uh, well, like what I'll say is like it, it understands like the escalation of it because like I would say this is a slow movie for the first half, but I don't mean that negative at all. Yeah. Like it's very meticulous, you know. Mm-hmm. And like the, they're establishing all these different relationships and these different like, uh, like people who are trying to climb the ladder. But then by the midway point, once all the pieces are in place, every conversation is basically a conflict. Mm-hmm. Someone's trying to like win a conversation or like get information out of someone, yeah. and the movie doesn't stop doing that until bodies start dropping. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's a movie where it's just like well, just at least it one. gets you into like how. The most of the time, a spy's life is probably very boring and specific, right? And just that, but then, like, you never know when, like, when people are posturing and when people are being genuine. Like, it's, it seems like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there's that one uh, girl who works uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch, and she's, like, even asking, like, what are you doing this weekend and stuff like yeah. that. And it's, like, you know, part of it in the back of my head, I'm, like, is she interested or is she trying to, like, well, you, get, like, all you know, the people get an angle on side-eyeing him, right? Like, and you mm-hmm. can't tell, like, is that an innocent, just someone, like, looking? Or, like, do they know something? And there's a lot of, like, lingering shots like that. And there is the, like, that girl makes sure to remember to give him the bag, you know, at the end of the mm-hmm. jumping ahead. But it's a pretty good, it's a, honestly not the worst uh, plan where he goes in and he has to time it just right. That's a cool shot where he he takes the file he needs and goes to, but goes to the spot where he claimed to be looking, right? Yeah. And then just waits around there, and then right at the time the call is supposed to be made, he he times it and then starts walking. So it, he he acts like he was surprised by the guy showing up. Like that takes some yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it's the best. Um, and that, here's a thought. That what was that? Well, you go. You go. Uh, well, it's it's less about the movie. It's just like, it, can Thomas Alfredson do a James Bond? That is not the intention of this podcast for me to champion that. But it is like, he's so good at, at like this procedural aspect of it. If you give him a budget and like the time, yeah. I, could he do well, that? I think what I would know? really want, honestly, is for him to do the rest of the Carla trilogy. Uh, oh. now like there's the problem with like the honorable schoolboy kind of being a difficult one to adapt mainly because i think george smiley's like barely in that one if i remember correctly <laughs> like so people just skip over but like you can skip to smiley's people maybe get a better title <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Soldier Spy and the honorable schoolboy are awesome titles and then smiley's people is like okay i guess like <laughs> digger taylor soldier spy two <laughs> Two Taylor, and then two Taylor Soldier two spy. spy. <laughs> yeah, and then Spy 3D. Or Taylor Soldier Spy Tokyo Drift. <laughs> um, or uh, uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy with a Vengeance. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We've done it. Live, live free or Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> um, we get the whole... Also, uh, so that's where Mendel... This is like his big moment. He's, he calls pretending to be a car mechanic, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. that's the ploy, and there's a song playing in the background, which is like this offensive like comic song from the '30s, 
Did you hear the song? I didn't listen to the lyrics. It's called uh, it's Chi- it's called Chinese Laundry Blues. And it's basically a guy oh. named Mr. Wu who like falls in love. I like, it's some story and it's got like a weird like quote unquote oriental riff underneath it. You know? Oh. Oh. It's un- it's not the worst thing, but it's not good either. <laughs> but, yeah, it doesn't sound like a slam dunk yeah, or anything. Uh, but that song that's important because we hear the uh we we hear the people listening to it on the line they're like it's like an earworm, you know, like mm-hmm. even the the mechanics are like getting into it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say like that one lady's kind of like humming along to it and bobbing her head around. Yeah, when she's supposed to be taking notes on everything. And you know, I think that's another thing that makes this movie like such fucking like a fascinating exploration of the sound of material is that like no one here, even if they're like the best at what they do, everyone here is fallible because they're all human. Yeah. You know, and like like there's no perfect organism, there's no perfect machine that runs all these different mm-hmm aspects of espionage it's like no no no. Uh, people can fail so this is obviously well, yeah, and it's all it's such an a simple point it's one where they go like hey look you you're you there's not like a small chance that you'll get caught like it could happen and if it is you're on your own like we just we just want this log file and they and the ploy is basically just like he can't bring his briefcase in with him right because you can't take files out of here but his mechanic, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mechanic calls and is like, "Hey, I need to talk to him because his car is all fucked up." And he just goes to the guy. He's like, "Hey, just look, just bring my bag for a minute. It'll take a second. And you know, you if you're if he's your coworker, even though you're spies, you're gonna be like, ah, he's a good guy." Yeah, like, yeah. Like, and then what you don't realize is he's stealing information, and he just <laughs> does. You know, he's that simple. Like, okay, and he drops the files on top of each other, and then just sneaks it back into the bag. And just right as he does it, fucking Toby Esterhouse corners him, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck, he's caught. But they let him give the bag back. So he gets brought up to Percy. Um, Percy has that incredibly um, uh, uh, racist comment where they're talking about, like, have you recruited anyone lately? And he's like, I got some, I've been talking to some Arabs. And he's like, Arabs, you can rent them, but you can't buy them. <laughs> Jesus Christ, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> so awful. And like, so if you heard from Ricky Tar and like uh, Ben Cumberbatch trying to play it cool, like makes a joke. He's like, "Oh yeah, we talk all the time." Like being like, "No, I had like his way." Kind of being like, "Fuck you, I haven't talked to him." And then he shrugs. Bill Hayden gets a kick out of it, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Percy's like, "Don't fucking do that shit at me." Someone's put thirty thousand into his bank account. Like we know he's talking to people. He's probably talking to you. We can't prove it, but. Clearly, he's working for Carla now. He's defected, and he's being sent back to muddy the waters, right? Like, we don't know why, but it's clearly something, and you're falling for it, and it's it's going to fuck things up. And they throw him out. Uh, ben Cumberbatch is clearly shaken. The great note, though, is as he's leaving, gets the bag back. So it's like, okay, he got the bag back, that lady, who was clearly hitting on him, and he did not seem interested for some reason. Um... The late he gets back. He's going down the stairs, and he passes um, uh, Kieran Hines, and Kieran Hines is humming the song. He, he, so like he heard the call. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just, That's a great fucking. It's a like Coverbatch is like Jesus Christ. What have I gotten myself into? Yeah. <laughs> That's when he goes back to Smiley, sees Ricky Tars here, and just like tries to beat the shit out of him. 
Oh, it's so it, good. Has Cumberbatch ever played someone like this notably angry? Because usually he's like the smarmy genius yeah. type, you know? I don't know. He's, uh, I'm sure he has. I just can't think of him. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's good in it. Um, and he's like, I put my fucking career on the line. And then uh, Gary Oldman's like, tell him, like, it's like, well, let's look at the file. And the page that they need is missing. So someone's covering shit up, right? Mm-hmm. So. Clearly something's going on. In between this, we also get the shots of, like, we see where the vault is, where all the secret information's kept. We see Toby Esterhaus has an office, like, right near there, where he's on the phone speaking in Hungarian to people we don't know who. And we see someone going in there and, like, taking files out, right? But for what purpose, we don't know. And there's nothing totally strange about it, because, like, shit gets moved around all the time, but still, it's all flying under the radar. Um... That's when Smiley's like, uh, they're going to be watching you, Cumberbatch, so you got to clean up your life. And that's when we see Cumberbatch was in a gay relationship with someone, um, which is something I believe with the Peter Gwilm character is only really – a lot of the, the gay subtext is only really implied in the book. It's made text in the movie. Ah. Uh. Uh, and that's the – you know, he goes home and, like, he, he – he basically breaks up because, like, that could – you know, I believe this is set in, like, the early 70s. I believe by this point – um, homosexuality is no longer illegal in the UK, but it is still like a big, like, you're going to get your career ruined if that comes out. Mm. Right. Thankfully, England is now really cool and chill about LGBT people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's, and then we get the, we also get the great monologue about smiley meeting Carla. Um, which we don't see, you know, he just talks in the, in the miniseries, we see the sequence here. He just describes it. He's like, I gave him my lighter. He's like, he'd been tortured by the Americans. Cause of course we did. And, uh, <laughs> like he's like fingernails ripped off and shit. He's all fucked up. If he goes back to Russia, he is going to be executed. Right. He's like, mm-hmm. there's just, that's what's going to happen. And he's like, I like, think of your wife. He's like, I went on about the damn wife too much. And he's like telling him more about me. And then he says that break where he's like, I think it's time we just both admit that we've spent our lives searching for the weaknesses in each other's systems. And there's about as much worth on your side as there is on mine. Right. Right. Which is a fucking statement. And then Carla leaves and it, that's, he's like, that was Carla. And it's like, that's how I know I can beat him. Cause he's a fanatic. Like only a fanatic would go to certain death like that. And he's like, and a fanatic is always harboring a, a secret doubt, which is a cool line. Yeah, and that's yeah. where I guess this is the major theme of the movie, which is just the decline of the British Empire's importance on the world stage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is because um, we can we can jump around doesn't doesn't matter at this point totally because um, we already talked about uh, the fucking Jerry Westerby scene. And shit like that. And he's listening to the file where he's like, everything uh, the circus thinks is gold is shit. Smiley eventually puts it together. What is happening is this witchcraft is giving them enough information to seem legit, right? But it's all staged and ultimately unimportant. But they're like, to what end? Like, it doesn't really make sense. And then it's like, well, it's not to get any information from the British. It's to get information from the Americans. Like, you were, you're, they're like a honey trap for American information, right? Like, mm. so it's this like really depressing note of like, they're not even the target of this horrible operation 
that is like ruining lives. <laughs> it's like they are just the trap for to get American information, which is actually important because the British no longer matter. They it's just both become puppets to the two Cold War factions. Yeah, it's basically about middlemen. Yeah, trying to become managers. Yeah, and it's just really like depressing of just like. And that's why, you know, Tom Hardy makes that scene where he's like, I wanted to bring this in on my own. I wanted to feel like I was doing something because a lot of them like don't, you know, they, they no longer feel that way with their lives. It's like we, we are irrelevant anymore. We're trying to stop a fucking nuclear war from happening at any moment. Our lives are meaningless and we're powerless to stop it, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really depressing stuff. Well, you know, I think that's also why, like, the, the World War II comment that that prior agent had, you know, and she was like, oh, like, that was a, a better time or whatever. Like, maybe everyone felt like World War II, you know, there's battlefields and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, clear lines. Like, there, you, you could, you could, yeah, the clear lines, you can make a difference in your immediate vicinity, or at least, if you're not, if not the world around mm -hmm. you. And, you know, like, this isn't really talked about a lot, but, like, wars don't, aren't going to happen like that anymore. Yeah, we'll never, really. we'll never really you have know? a war like that. Like, there will be, like, battlefields and shit like that, and there will be, like, people, like, you know, unfortunately still shooting at each other in the streets at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, this, it, it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the, the desperation to have the sense of control that that arena gives you, as disgusting as that sounds, uh, because it is. Yeah. Um, it does make people feel powerful and lets them attain power. Yeah. Th this is harder to, to attain power within like these structures that uh, they find themselves in, and that's why I also love like the the set design mm. and like the the street photography of this. Everything's so like tight, and yeah. musty, <laughs> and there's like light shafts going through windows, and everyone's framed through like doorways and like hallways and glass, and it's just. It's it's like a prison. It's, just, it's like the whole movie takes place in a prison. Everyone feels trapped, and it also feels like everyone's being listened to at all times. Right? Yeah. Thank God we don't live in a declining empire that's also a surveillance state. What's the American version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Um, it'll have, like just the title. Don't don't think of the movie, but the title. The title? Yeah, I'll think of a title. Um, Bad to the Bone. Uh, <laughs> so this is a stupid. Yeah, it'll be some. It'll be some dumb country song that no one likes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Almost heaven, West Virginia. Or no, a good one could be like Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like that's there you go. This one's yeah. Creedence. This one's Clearwater. This one's Revival. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a masterpiece. We can we can keep going okay. a little bit yeah, longer. But I um, haven't got. Well, you haven't even revealed who the spy is yet. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but that's basically that's the main crux of the movie is just like the weird decline of the British and like people feeling they need to be important. Um, we can just jump ahead. Like when Bill Hayden is finally outed as the mole, right? I mean, that's even mm -hmm. his argument for why he did it, right? Where he's yeah. like, the West becomes so ugly. Like he's like, both of us are fucked up at this point, and he's like, I'm a man who made his mark, which is like. He wants to feel important. He wants to feel like he actually did something. And, you know, he did, arguably. Yeah. And. Well, you know, it's like the idea of, like, disruptors now. Mm. It's like, you know, technically Donald Trump was a disruptor. Mm. But also, like, 
not at yeah. all. But like, well, the apex of everything wrong with this country, but also fucked everything up beyond like even prior. Yeah, arguably, he broke the country beyond repair. Like, yeah. which you know. you know, whatever the next step of America is, he he is the triggering mechanism that led to it, right? Yeah, yeah that's. The, I'm not even gonna say like that. that that could ultimately lead to good things in a weird way. Like we had, our country was really fucked up because it, it's a country that let Donald Trump win. <laughs> so yeah, we clearly yeah. had problems before that. We could have a better country on the other side, could have a worse country on the other side. Uh, I think jury's still out. Or no country. I, 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 I don't know. Um, <laughs> I actually, I don't feel as uh, pessimistic about the future anymore, which is weird. Like they just no. they just they just moved the nuclear clock as close to midnight as it's ever been. So, you know, I'm gonna I fucking I'm gonna talk shit about those scientists and whatever because like they just it just keeps going back and forth. I'm I'm sorry, I don't get it. I clearly don't know about it that much, but like you're just scaring me now. You know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna start fighting people. Well, it was supposed to be a warning. <laughs> Of like, hey, scientists, hey, everyone in this country listens to scientists, right? Well, they say uh, the world's in a very precarious space now, and we should maybe do something about it. And then no one ever does. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, we're heading closer to midnight. And it's like, I know, motherfucker. I know. <laughs> we all know now. Where's the thing? If the Democrats wanted to sweep the next election, they would front load global warming as the main issue. They would win in a landslide. Because it, they have some silver, like not to cut you off, but they have some silver bullets. It's they just re- healthcare, yeah, climate change, police brutality. Yeah. Police brutality. I can like look. They should be going in on the police. Police get weird because you can always freak people out about crime. Like that one mm-hmm. is. I understand it's if you're ground because it's very easy to trick idiots, but. When it comes to climate change and healthcare, it's overwhelmingly in the liberal favor, and they won't go in on it because of who's giving them the money, right? Right. And, I mean, it's, I'm telling you, it's the reason why, right now there's all the talk about, like, the Democrats never seize the opportunity on the youth, but the youth isn't actually getting more conservative, and I honestly think it's the global warming thing. I think the Republicans have branded themselves so much as the anti-global warming party that no one can really embrace them. If you're if you're under yeah, the age of like thirty-five, yeah, and there are definitely people that are always going to like end up leaning that way mm-hmm. through a bunch of different circumstances. That's just going to yeah, happen. Yeah. There's always going to be, but a- the, the amount of people that are is is smaller than yeah. ever. At least it seems small. Well, I was also, I was talking with my sister the other day, and she's like really upset with how the Democrats are handling a lot of things right now. And, you know, like we disagree on some stuff, but like she's, she, we mostly align on stuff, but she's also like, but she's like, I could, even if the Republicans got better, like, she's like, I could never endorse them. She's like, they're so anti-gay. They're so anti-women and they're so anti just Mm. global warming. Like that, like they basically, they they can't fix themselves in a way that could ever win her over no matter how bad the Democrats got. So no, hey, the tide's totally turning because, like, uh, my godparents, who are, are Democrats, they're they're very uh, liberal, yeah. right? But they were like, well, you know, Bernie just seems a little radical. I feel like I could have a beer with Biden, that type of yeah. stick, right? But even, like, over Christmas, my, my godfather, God bless him, was like, yeah, you know, I guess we do need, a, like, a military budget as the, the biggest power on the planet, but 
you know, do they need a hundred billion dollars or whatever? You know, like that's the conversations that are happening now. They're like, why can't we use that for healthcare education? Yeah. And I was like, all right, it's something, something's up. Yeah. Cause those people were not saying that shit. Well, it's also back. things are getting, we might be going into a recession soon is the other thing. And mm-hmm. the thing is that like people are hurting right now. Right. But rich people oh, are yeah. making more money than ever, which that does not go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and collapses like that. I mean, the last collapse, the last recession spawned anti-capitalist and ultra-capitalist movements, which seems to happen. But I think the ultra-capitalists have already burned themselves out through Bitcoin, right? So, oh, it, it seems that way. Yeah. So I don't know. We could. It, shit is about to get interesting. But don't waste your time on people who are just racist. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Instead, uh, just waste your time watching Tinker Taylor Soldier yeah. Spy, which is fantastic. Uh, is there any, any other stuff we want well, we to talk about? Start winding down with? just the chim- the, the Jim Prito stuff. We finally get uh, Gary Oldman meets with him, um, and he kind of talks about how he was captured and tortured and all that shit. Uh, uh, arena is assassinated in front of him, um, which is the worst scene in the movie. Mm. Uh, which is just brutal. Yeah. Oh my god. I like gasped. I forgot. Like the the shot just holds, yeah. and then a little bit of what's left of her brain yeah. just like and they leave her body. The oh, they like leave the body in the room with him. Oh, it, it's so awful. We also find out that like the story is. Cause like, he's like, did any of the, I tried to hold off as long as possible, but I like, I had to crack at some point. Did any of the people like whose cover I blew get out in time? And Smiley's like, no, like a lot of them got taken out. And like the word is you gave him up to save yourself, which is like Jim Prito's like even more pissed off about that. And there's like the whole conversation. Then it's like, and then suddenly they just let him go. Like they didn't kill him, which is like odd. And he gets sent back. He meets with uh, Toby Esterhouse. So Toby Esterhouse is the one that greets him, like debriefs him, gives him the thousand pounds, I think they said. Sends him on his way and says, like, and to forget all of Control's nonsense about the mole and don't think about Tinker Taylor. Like, forget all that. And, and he's like, and then I left. And that's when Smiley's like, who told Toby about Tinker Taylor? Like, that's the first kind of real, like, why would he have that information? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what leads a lot of the shit into motion. They they kid, they basically kidnap Toby Esterhouse and <laughs> fucking, fucking Smiley folds him like laundry on that runway. <laughs> like, it's so great. You know how they did that shot? How? I, I've seen that. I've seen the uh, take, but you explain it. Okay, yeah. So they used a 2,000 millimeter lens. That alone costs like thousands of dollars. It is also apparently like 39 pounds. It might be the heaviest lens ever crafted. Uh, there might be heavier stuff. Um, so a telephoto lens, uh, anything more than I believe 50 millimeters, like 65 millimeters, uh, compresses the space so the background's more blurred out. So you get those nice bokeh effects. Uh, it's not the only way to get those bokeh effects, but what it does is compresses the space, makes it great for close-ups. Uh, and if you shake it, it... That's how you get the motion sickness. So whenever you're watching Transformers, that's because Michael Bay likes using telephoto lenses, and you're like, what am I looking at? That's why. Um, 
but for a 2000 millimeter lens, it allowed them to film on the runway without basically endangering any of the yeah, cast. And even though it looks like, even though it looks like the fucking planes right there. Over. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, is, is the, the, the point of that scene. He's like threatening. Yeah. Them. Which is a hell of a bluff, like, but like it fucking works. Like, yeah. Toby Esther House cracks immediately. And like, <laughs> yeah, I fucking would yeah. too. I'd be like, I'll admit to anything. Just get me out of here. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he gives up the information. He's like, here's where the house is and all that stuff. Like, he, that's basically what they're looking for. Like, where's this house that they've been trying to find? And he's like, but look, everyone at Top Circus knows about Tinker Taylor. Like, I told every, like, everyone was talking about it. So it's still nailed, but it narrows it down a little bit. I think they all kind of knew Toby. Like, he could, he's, he's such a worm. He couldn't have been the spy. So that's when they set up. They have Ricky. They fly Ricky Tar to Paris to go to the Paris office to make contact. And he does that thing of he goes, "Hey, I'm Ricky Tar. I'm trying to get back in. I have information regarding the safeguarding of the circus." That sends all of the circus into a tizzy. They all meet, and Smiley and uh, fucking Peter Gwillem just go to the house and just wait, like, and they wait to see who shows up. And uh, it ends up being Bill Hayden. And that's that was him. That and like so, like it's that sequence and the stealing of the files, which are like the two most exciting scenes in this movie. <laughs> and they're yeah. incredibly simple stuff. I mean, literally the biggest action scene. The end of it is just two guys sitting in a chair, one guy pointing a gun at the other. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Hayden admits. Also, Bill Hayden is like a. De- Craved bisexual character, by the way, because he's like he was sleeping with everyone. Like Aww. that's his one trait. Like they established early on is that he's a womanizer. But like when he's confessing, he's like, "There's a girl, tell her I love her, give her some money." There's also a boy, just pay him off. And yeah, it's fucked <laughs> up. And uh, he's like, "It wasn't my idea to sleep with your wife. Fucking, it was Carla's idea." He was like, he knew you were a problem, George, and that, but if I was cheating on your wife, that you wouldn't be able to see me straight, and it worked for a little bit, and he's not wrong, I mean, yeah. that's the one, that's the one scene that leads him to dismiss it, but that's when you get the reveal that he's like, it wasn't that he was staying at his house that weekend, um, Jim Preto went to Bill Hayden the night before the Budapest operation, basically to warn him, right? And like, cause deep down, uh, he knew that Bill was the spy and it's like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. And Ugh. then we get Jim, we get him. He yells at that kid, which is awesome. so yeah. sad. Um, which is just him. Just, I, 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 I just, in my head, I have to hope that like later he went, look, I was going through some stuff. Don't worry. Everything's yeah. Cool now. yeah. But we give no, the, no, there's no indication of that in the movie. So, no, no, but we know no. that kid thought he had a good relationship with his teacher, and then he was just destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, son. Uh, I had to go kill my ex. Yeah. <laughs> we also get a great image of human defeat, um, which is Toby Jones when we go to see uh, Bill Hayden in the prison. Um, Smiley is arriving as Toby Jones is leaving, and Toby Jones is just mm. walking in the rain. With, like, just his eyes are completely dead without an umbrella. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> good. Is a, a perfect image of, like, someone realizing that they fucked up horribly. Um, and, yeah. Then we get- you know what other image I really mm-hmm. love? Uh, even though it's fucking just destructive. Uh, it, Tom Hardy just waiting outside. Yeah. Looking in the window. Well, Smiley also lied to him and is like... like 
Yeah. Didn't lie technically, but where he's like, look, I'll do this, but you have to give me your word that you will get her out of there. You'll get Arena out of there and that I'm, I'm going to have a family. He goes, I'm not going to end up like you lot. Like, that's his line. And so mm-hmm. I was like, we'll do our utmost, which isn't a lie. It's not a lie, but it's not a yeah, truth it's either. It's an omission. <laughs> not calling you a lie. I'm not calling you a truther. Yeah. <laughs> that's the sequel. Yeah. That's the opening line. <laughs> Tom Hardy's calling Gary Oldman not a truther. There you go. Um, yeah, we get. I mean, that whole montage of him killing, of Jim Prito killing him, is set with like we see Tom Hardy, who's like life is destroyed. We see Connie Sachs like all by herself. Like there's a lot, and it's set to uh, La Mer. And oh yeah, it's fantastic. And we get that you know the shot of Jim and Bill Hayden at the Christmas party, and then Bill Hayden getting shot in the face, and they both look at each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the smiley, smiley ended up. Now he's in charge of the circus, and uh, surely that will bring his life some sense of meaning. Yeah, and his wife does reunite with him at the end. His basically sure. unseen wife, um, mm-hmm. and it ends. It literally ends with like a close up on his face and applause. Right, but it's like yeah. like the amount of lives destroyed to get to this place. It's just like <laughs> good lord. It's like even if he thinks it's worth it in that moment, by the end he's gonna not feel yeah. Any- Full. And I'll say the sequels are mainly about uh, doing damage control for, like, the disaster of this leak, right? Oh, okay. The, Fascinating. The circus is kind of, like, fucked after this incident. Um, so mm-hmm. Smiley's trying to make up for it, partly by going after Carla. So, like, if he gets Carla, then I'll make up for it. Oh, the only image we ever get of Carla in the movie is, uh, you know, the... Uh, um, the lighter we see the lighter. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, um, from uh, to George from Anne with love, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which hey, um, which does that that lighter comes back in the book sequels too. Like that's a major point. Oh wow, it's like straight up like just nonstop continuity. Yeah. I assumed it was like other operations with some bleed over, but that sounds I like believe, it's if I remember narrative. correctly, the honorable schoolboy is mainly another operation with bleed over, but Smiley's people is very specifically Smiley versus Carla. Oh and, nice. And I even if I remember correctly, this isn't a spoiler, but the last like imagery in the book is that lighter. Like that lighter plays an important part of just like the closing of the book. So, um, yeah, it'd be cool if they made another one, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's been a little too long at this point. Um, yeah. Legacy sequel. Uh, <laughs> now you have to become well, the tinker Taylor well, soldier and spy. Like I said, uh, the last book, um, published while, uh, Lakari was still alive was a legacy of spies, which is a George Smiley story. Um, I don't think he's the main character, though. I, you know who is? It's Peter Gwillem. He's the main oh, character. Oh, okay. And I, it, it takes place kind of like way after, and it's kind of about reckoning with some of the uh, complicated things that it happened during that career. Some of the morally questionable stuff that uh, George Smiley did. And it's kind of like, like coming to terms with like his characters. It's an interesting like closing the door on his own career type thing. Um, although I think there was one other book published after, which I don't think was a, uh, was a, was 
a spy novel, and then there's there was something published after his death. I haven't read any of those, so I can't comment on them. Well, I am definitely interested in checking them out. They're good out stuff. Now. They're good. If you like spy fiction, um, they're really good stuff. Yeah, take that, Tom Clancy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, we have to wrap up now. Yes. But, uh, yeah, this is a great fucking movie. Any final points you want to make before I announce the next episode? Because um, I just put in the number. Don't watch the shit. Check out other adaptations, specifically Little Drummer Girl, which was fantastic. Um, and like completely flew under the radar for reasons I don't know why. Um, which uh, wild performances in that from uh, Michael Shannon and Florence Pugh. <laughs> mm. um, really, really worth checking out. Um, and yeah, this is. Uh, I hope this maybe gets you interested in some of this fiction. I really like Lacari's work in adaptations that came from it. So I hope this opens some doors. Same here. That definitely opened for me. So, uh, what also opened is next week's episode: Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. Hey! Yeah, there was another one we just added today, like officially, and I was like, "All right, I, I want to watch it," but I was like, "I'm gonna have to like track it down <laughs> to some other measures." But no, 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 Drive. I, yeah, drive, I own drive, drive. Will be easy. Yeah. We'll do that other one whenever we get to it. <laughs> Yes, yes, we, we will see when. But yeah, so go rewatch Nicholas Winning Ruffin's Drive. Uh and, and enjoy yourself, Matt. Thanks for I can't imagine me, anyone listening to this podcast has a copy of Drive readily available. I know this is like for the people that watch Drive and yes. <laughs> it's, it's for us. It's it's for the only the people that listen the everyone who listens to this has this movie. So yeah. this is what this is for. They're the only people who listen to this podcast. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Uh, links to everything we have down below because you know, weird social media stuff. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe, anyways, because you might find something you do like. Uh, we have been professionally unprofessional. Bye.